start off there's people in the chat here waiting for us it's awesome Morgus, Raquel, chris eric your massive savage beauty what's up everyone morning Good. folks happy monday it's if it's afternoon you know you've survived the morning so that's good we're second still morning our, yeah we're <laughs> in our morning here very much so yeah I woke up at nine <laughs> i would have woken up at nine except i set an alarm i was like i'm going to be prepared mm. for this one give myself time to actually wake up. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> had, to, had to cut my hair before I get into my work week and get lazy and let it get even grosser and longer. <laughs> so had to do that. And looks good, man. I do it myself. I, uh, I just go until it hurts and I feel like I've overdone everywhere and then we're good to go. So do you use like a razor for that? Just like, no, a- the only reason I don't do a razor and I would love to is because I have a like a small but uh, surfaceable like mole somewhere like oh, right here. You don't want to chop that off. <laughs> I've done it once and it was oh, miserable. It God. bled for two days. It just wouldn't <laughs> stop bleeding. So as much as I like envy the guys who can get those like nice expensive Ooh. good clippers and they just go meh and it goes fully bald or the dudes that can just take a razor. Because let's face it, it's never coming back. So um, embrace it, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah no, absolutely. That, that one mole is keeping me keeping me from doing that. Yeah, I I think too. Like and this is just a great first subject to hit on. This is, <laughs> but I feel like some heads are naturally good for being bald, and then some mm-hmm. people aren't. I think yeah. you got a good head for that. It's I think symmetrical. you're going to be fine. Yeah, I've got a symmetrical head. I uh, my, you know, it, it it all works. I don't have any crazy scars on it no. yet. So and you're I not like, you're not going to look like Mister Clean. Like you got the beard. No, you, I'm you're I'm good, nowhere man. near in good enough shape to look like Mister Clean. That dude is yoked. <laughs> that dude is yoked. Yeah, I got a freaking beer belly and like a. Um, I like my beard. That dude was like clean shaven, right? Oh yeah, and and eyebrows too. No eyebrows. No eyebrow. What a weirdo. Oh, I shouldn't judge. Maybe he's like cancer or something. Maybe. Well, I don't think he's a real person. I think it's just the animated guy on the bottle, right? Well, in the <laughs> off chance he was based off a real person, I don't want to be rude and offensive. So, um, everybody yeah. who's here to the show, welcome. <laughs> this is what happens when the younger guys get the reins for a yeah. week, and every and and the seniority takes a step out of the building for vacation. Eric is uh, Eric has taken some some vacay. He's he's headed out to no. He had to work today. He had to change yes. the schedule. Yes, he did he's vacationing next week. Um, and Owen's so, too much of a coward to face us head on. Yeah, Owen's Owen's at the call center, aka working at home at his computer. He could be doing this. He just has a different screen going on. But uh, <laughs> Mr. Clean does have eyebrows. My mistake. Somebody, somebody go fact check us and see if Mr. Clean has eyebrows or well, not. Well, it looks like he was based on a Marine. So we okay. We so yeah, be... we definitely don't want to insult him. <laughs> yeah. You know, hats off to our Marines and all of the military. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, like I was saying, Eric's not here today. So, it's it's the the younger ones here keeping the, keeping the juice flowing for the guys who started this train for all of us. And, you know, it's the least we could do. Um, 
you know, just keep the, the content growth for the network going and, you know, why not carry the torch a little bit for them? Let them, let them take why a break. Not? Huh? Yeah. It's the intern uh, special. Yeah. As there Owen we likes go. to call us. There we go. <laughs> Owen calls us the interns. He did on that last live MPR right. episode. I missed, Before I missed you jumped beginning. in, he was yeah. going off on me. He couldn't uh, even remember my name. <laughs> wow. He said, what's that one's name? The young, excited one. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, yeah. he's he's busy out Bigfoot hunting anyway. So well, he will be. I'm saving up. Yeah, yeah. Patreon. Oh, speaking of which, the Patreon, if I'm not mistaken, last time I checked, was already up at 10 uh patrons which is pretty cool um because that just validates the the hard work that eric and owen have put in and if you really think about it this right now is their 10th season of morelia python radio doing their show not even talking about the network or anything else it's just you know they're on their 10th year and that's pretty freaking rad and i think it's um I think it's, you know, been a long time coming, if you ask me, since they found some way to monetize the work they've done because they give so much back to us. We don't really like give them any money unless we're buying some of the merch from the Teespring store, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. So I feel like, you know, it's the least we can do. I know times are tough. You know, people are being wise with their money, given everything, but I think it's pretty neat and it's a it's a, a really simple way to to support them. It's the same thing as, you know, what I do sending money to US Arc every month. Right. Um, you know, it's no different. So right. yeah, ten and, patrons right now for, for Morelia Python Radio. And it started just a few days ago. So And that's awesome. That's before we even really roll out like worthwhile tiers, if you will. Like there's a lot of, of ideas that are yeah. being cooked up in terms of what we can give back to folks. Um, yeah that's yeah exciting Um, yeah that's that's definitely coming so if everybody who's like you know kind of on the fence about patreon in general um we're trying to come up with things where you know if if you're on the fence about it and you think it's just giving money we're trying to have options where you get something back hmm. um discounts at the teespring store you know access to calendars at that time of year a whole lot of different creative ideas where you get something back um so we're we're trying to come up with some of that stuff so yeah. stay tuned for right now it's just a single like buy us a cup of coffee sort of thing right. and and it's you know it's for a good cause it's really going to eric you know and and supporting what they're doing um you know they're not just pocketing it of course they're going to put it to to more reptile related endeavors for mm-hmm. the podcast um, upgrading their equipment, you know, funding herping trips for, for their yeah. YouTube stuff. So we're just, Lucas and I are just sitting here kind of poking them in the back, trying to keep these old guys <laughs> going. <laughs> we, you ever seen how they move big tortoises? They get a stick and they just gently tap their shell in the direction they want them to go. And like, really? they kinda, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a very effective way to move like four or 500 pound oh. collops and, or like even 200 pound sulcatas. And uh, yeah, cool. so as much as they do on their own, we kind of, you know, keep poking them to, because they, they really didn't want to, they've never wanted to do Patreon. They've always right. felt that, um, you know, monetizing it kind of went against why they do it. And it's, it's not that they're doing it for money now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they want to give back more and it's easier to do it 
if it's a community funded sort of thing, because then the community has say in what that, you know, sort of means, right. You know, it, people could say, Hey, we'd love to see you go do these herping trips. Here's five bucks a month. Yeah. It's, you know? it's, it's going to unlock so many things um, for, for the network in terms of what, um, you know, content we're able to create and kind of building upon what has already been you know, all the groundwork that's already been laid, you know, so things like the herping trips, you know, that's, that's going to be an entirely new thing. And we, you know, yeah. I hope to, to document it through film. Um, oh, yeah. In addition we to will. all the podcast content that's going to come out of oh, that, yeah. you know, the, the YouTube channel could have like short film style, almost documentary esque yes. video, like yes. in Australia, you know, how cool would that be? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, if, if somebody wants to sign up for Patreon and say, Hey, I'm only signing up if Eric and Owen start making their own videos for the channel, <laughs> now would be a great time to light that fire. Those yeah. guys are, but in all actuality, Eric does a ton on his days off or after yeah. he gets home from work, he has a to-do list of like what he's publishing for the shows, the things he's writing up, the other shows he's working on. In case you don't know, he's got three other shows in the mix, in the background <laughs> that are going to be coming. So NPR Network has five shows already that are all sort of Eric's mastermind. You know, he's sitting there plugging away at the controls. So it's impressive. He gets a lot done, like from all the like logos he's doing to yesterday, yeah. he sent us like a complete script of a future podcast. And yeah, yeah, dude, dude's productive. So <laughs> if, if he and Owen had started Patreon before I ever was involved, I would have been one of the first, you know, subscribers oh, for sure. Man. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So I'm really excited. Um, I've got plenty of friends locally that enjoy the content and want to support you know, them and, and our involvement. I've got friends that are telling me they're already buying some of the stuff off the Teespring store. So that's been, it's been pretty flattering and it's validating the work that Eric and Owen have done over the last nine years. And I couldn't be happier to like help support them and push that for them. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's important to support the people and the things that you <laughs> <laughs> it's actually oh, nice. fun to help Owen build Morto yeah. Barn. <laughs> Forget what I was saying. We got to yeah. get Morto's Barn. Ryan, but, getting straight to the point. <laughs> what I was just going to say is that in in a world like this, where there's a lot of BS out there, if mm -hmm. you will, um, mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say, right? You know, oh, any, absolutely. Any old f person and an iPhone can put terrible information out there on the mm -hmm. internet. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to identify um, the goods and and support yeah. it and keep it going yeah. you know and because as as things like that grow you know more of the new people will go towards what's popular right and mm -hmm. and we kind of want to i feel like guide folks in the right direction in a way sure. um by propping up the uh the best the voices network. in the sphere yeah yeah and so mm -hmm. some of the additional shows coming to the network are, are going to do exactly that they're going to bring some more people into the fold that eric and owen and and you and i uh, consider highly respected and achieved individuals, yeah. uh, very credible uh, information sources. And so, you know, them being involved and people supporting it will really validate the amount of work that they've done. Um, and it's, and, you know, having some diversity in there is really cool because you don't have to be into, into Morelia to sort of find something in here. Um, you know, we've got the Call you Bridge show, we've got field herping stuff, we've got kind of more specific things within carpets. We've got the original show, Morelli Python Radio, which right. 
brings everything in from boas to scrubs to lizards yeah. to turtles, and then whatever. whatever the heck nick yeah. and ryan bring you know right. bio geography evolution whatever right. You know? right so there's there's really something for everybody in just morelia python radio and then tertiary sort of externally in the the network itself so the idea is to to not just focus more on morelia and focusing on and you know, putting that out there, but just creating a good body of information for people to come to, regardless of what they like. And then the other thing is Eric and Owen always hammer this in is vote with your dollar, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people that do various uh, creative things, podcasts, YouTube, whatever, and have Patreon. And, and you see those, those folks getting supported and support those people too, because it, that's what really keeps that alive. You vote with Absolutely. your dollar. Absolutely. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a mouthful. That uh, that was kind <laughs> of a, like a, a self-promotional, not self-promotional intro thing. But uh, it, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think Patreon is kind of a controversial thing for some mm. people. So I wanted to really unpack that a little bit because I know right. there was some, some hesitation and there was even a comment that was like, is this going to be the end of NPR? Right. And I handled that before it got out of control because I didn't want it to bum Eric and Owen out because mm -hmm. they, they put so much work into this and they take so much pride in their work that like, I'm happy to, to field all the, the negativity <laughs> and filter right. it away from them just to keep them going. Yeah. I guess it's just important to note that in terms of NPR, you know, for fans of the show, like nothing's going to change in terms no. of the show. Uh, if no. anything, it's just going to grow and be, bigger and better you know it, it yeah. this is in no way a a pivot away from the things right. that we love about npr it, it's just hopefully a tool to uh to even enhance that that yeah so yeah. The, the behind the scenes stuff that nobody sees is that um there's a chat with all four of us and eric and owen sort of have their own sub chat within that that involves strictly the npr shows and although Lucas and I are involved and we see what's going on, they keep trucking along. They're just going and going and going and going and going and going. So that's not stopping. We just sort of pick and choose where we can pull them aside in between that schedule for everything else. And then that's how we're able to evolve all this other stuff. But also Eric's, Eric's a juggling master. He does a lot. Yeah, of he doesn't need a ton of help. So. <laughs> and then Owen will come back after a whole day of work and there'll be like 200 messages. And he's like, none of you asked me anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, he, yeah. And then he starts beating on Lucas verbally. Mm, yeah. It's all right. <laughs> I think it means he likes me. Well, he's got to get it out somewhere because if he doesn't, he's going to start blowing people's eardrums like live chat gonna, way. Yeah, he's going to be unchained. Mm -hmm. That's a dangerous situation. You got to yeah. watch that man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, and you witty SOB. <laughs> we love him and his squirrel, Archie. Archie's I don't think I will ever be able to stop talking about the squirrel <laughs> yeah right that's a pretty important you know i think owen needs a squirrel tattoo among with like his timor <laughs> python and white lit tattoos and Ruffy tattoo he needs a squirrel you should get I that just, one right here i have so many questions i i want to make a youtube video just about the squirrel just a squirrel we can do that squirrel we can care do that. guide yeah. So whenever we get get the the opportunity for us to to fly out to PA mm -hmm. <laughs> and get get the the joining of the heads, the meeting of the minds, 
we'll film a lot of different episodes while we're there, right? Capitalize on it. We'll have an Archie episode, a Mort episode, a collection episode, an Eric episode, an Owen episode. Here's we'll the just... clickbait. I can see it now. How short is Eric Burke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the trip out to the Pine Barrens, we'll go herping and see some, some timbers. So yeah, more good things to come. The YouTube is actually growing. We're almost at 25% of the public watch hours needed to monetize. I, uh, I'm i impressed with that number. We just got to get the, the promotion of that channel out there more. Some more people um, go to uh, the NPR Network channel. You know, these live shows and things all help. But I think that's where Eric and Owen getting back on the video game sort of train will really help. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Because I think so many people want to see these animals that they've talked about for years and have essentially come to know, right? Because yeah. that's the that's the beauty of having the podcast run for nine years. And if anybody's listened to them consistently for any chunk of time within that nine years, you sort of come to know these guys, right? You've heard of Molly. You've heard of Glitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And even before I went out to Carpet Fest and, and finally met them in person, I already felt like these guys were like good buddies. Like Eric right. was like, oh, yeah, I'll pick you up at the airport. Oh, yeah, you can stay in my house. <laughs> like It was just like, you know, it was all casual. And, and there were a lot of people that I finally met in person face to face at carpet fest that I had that same feeling with, like, I felt like I already knew them and like, I would have hung out with this person my whole life growing up and we would have totally been friends. You know, it's just all of that. Yeah. And it was because of the reptile community right there. But um, yeah, I just, there's so many things that like we can do to give back to Eric and Owen and validate their work. So I think that's where all of this really comes into play and it's growing and I can't wait to see where it goes. So absolutely. And I can't wait to go to a freaking carpet fest. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. Damn COVID. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully the rolling out of the vaccines. um, Yeah. You know, people being a little more educated on protocols and safety. It's been going on long enough where I think a lot of us have had time to digest and understand and experience enough to further our understanding. So hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, the new year, the new, the new, cabinet and government turnover and whatever else and the further progression of vaccines things will start to open up i mean shoot the yeah there's a show going on at the cow palace on oh, the yeah. weekend of the 22nd 23rd a three-day show and they've uh coordinated with the city officials the city public mm-hmm. officials for that show and so they're doing it the right way they're getting the city's approval of like maximum occupancy and protocols and stuff nice so I didn't think that would happen in California so soon. So to me, that's a really good sign. And if that goes well, it's just going to keep helping, you know, the, the opening of the world, so to speak, back along, you know, like there's shows in Florida and South Carolina and stuff that have happened and a few other places. And I think a lot of other places are a little more willing to open up than California. So to see a show Mm -hmm. in California, it's, it's an encouraging sign. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, this summer we'll be able to have uh, a Southwest uh, Carpet Fest. So that would be awesome. Yeah, my sister is a teacher in New York. She's actually getting vaccinated on Friday. So oh, nice! It's happening slowly but yeah. surely. You know, yeah. the end I, is is near. I hope. I, I keep <laughs> seeing. Honestly, the only issues I've been seeing is that they don't. They're just struggling to keep up the amount of vaccines yeah. accessible. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen anything negative about side effects, even though I've heard whispers here and there and. But that's like with anything, I guess. Absolutely. I'm, I mean, I've had 
we don't have to get too much into this, but you know, no. I, I get my flu shot every year. Some years I feel like crap. Some years I feel nothing, you know, it's just, it sometimes yeah. it just depends. <laughs> the, the three years I did get my flu shot from like freshman year, maybe junior year. And then like one year after I nearly died each time with like 103, three fever. Oh, no. Really? For like four days straight. Yeah. The, so the the freshman year in college one was the, the first one and I should have seen it. My body just doesn't handle, you know, dead strains of vaccine. Sure. Well, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, I was bedridden for four <laughs> days, lost 15 pounds, didn't keep anything down but water and uh, couldn't move. And I almost died. My mom was like, you, you, if you stay at that temperature, for much longer or go up in temperature, your brain will fry. You will have irreversible brain damage. I was like, that's, oh, okay. I'm that's not good. Yeah. yeah. So I, maybe to me, I just the avoid the blue this, shot. Yeah. Maybe the bright side is that this one is a completely different yeah, vaccine so, in terms of the science. But so for me, what I'm doing is I'm waiting to see the first wave of people get it and see how it goes. <laughs> right. And then I'll reevaluate, you know. Sure. I'll just play yeah. a play a roll of the dice game. I think eventually, you know, it might just be a thing where everybody gets it, mm-hmm. and it, it seems to be pretty safe and pretty stable. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. so I, I'm keeping my mind open. I don't want to be completely anti-vaccine on this because I've grown up getting all the you know appropriate vaccines, sure. doing that. You know, yeah. what, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but you know, this one's just so new and so quick. I'm just kind of skeptical, you know. So, right. and I think there's a lot of people in in that in that mindset, yeah. which you know, it's it's fair, but. I think it's healthy to think for your own for your own self. I think yes. everybody should think for themselves. <laughs> so that's my genuine, authentic thought, and I'm going to stick with it for the time being and reevaluate as time goes on. But back to go. reptiles. Reptiles, carpets, and coffee. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I it, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of reptiles is the the black-headed pythons. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am so excited about yeah, that's, that. That's looking good. So that's another thing people don't see too often unless unless you post it. Or I think, I think Grant posted about it yeah, too. Yeah, Grant posted yesterday. But yep. So we've been getting some cold weather here in California, not quite as cold as snow experiencing states <laughs> in the other part of the world, the great white north, so to speak. But, yeah. you know, we're hitting 30s at night and um, – and if you, you know, let doors open or turn heaters off in the back, et cetera. Um, yeah. So we're getting blackhead lockups. The Womas have been locking like crazy. So yeah, Lucas's boy is a stud. He's a champ. He just goes from female to female. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay, you now. Cool. I know what I'm doing. Well, I mean, to be fair, sometimes he's a little overexcited and he tries to like breathe. To eat head. himself. Oh yeah, that well, too. Okay. He does that too. We'll, we'll, we'll separate him and feed him in a, in a yeah. separate tub and do all that. But then he in wants his to go defense, right I don't think he's ever been allowed to see another black-headed python for yeah. 10 years-ish. Yeah. yeah. Since, <laughs> since he was hatched, probably. I think yeah. safe to say, right? So there's a lot of pent-up whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah, he's got some sperm plugs to yeah well, it's good to know that it all still works <laughs> yeah he's a champ dude you know i i keep reading documents about like animals that were like brought in in the 80s that were already adults and how long they lived in zoos and this and that and you know you see these numbers i think you know we generally probably because we under exercise overfeed and maybe mm-hmm. missed a few other husbandry factors. I think these snakes can live a lot longer than we realize. Like it's generally known that ball pythons can live 40 years. Yeah. What makes them so special? 
So like when you read <laughs> documents about like Apodora living 30 plus years and blackheads living into their twenties and still reproducing stuff like that. I'm like, if your boy is only 10 years old to me, it's like, he's still a young buck. Like, right. He's got 20 plus years of good, like, you know, no yeah. problem going climbing as, as, as you can see too, you know, I've kept him really lean. Um, so oh, hopefully yeah. that works in his favor. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a track star. Yeah. So. That's the idea. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited I, for that. If that works out, that'll be, uh, that'll be my first experience breeding and, and hatching and incubating blackheads. Cause you know, they're one of those species where there's so many differences in them. It's not just a close your eyes and it happens like some other right. species. Like the eggs are a little bit particular. I don't think they're as sensitive as maybe Wilma eggs are. Um, right. Well, this is all just going off just, Yeah, just if if they get wet, I think it's just bad news. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, they go downhill quickly. I believe in that I scenario. Heard, uh, when Jason Hood was on NPR, he mentioned mm-hmm. that he actually does a slight night drop in his incubator for blackhead eggs, hmm. which interesting. is really really an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess something about condensation and mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean <laughs> if, if he's studying how condensation grows and depletes based on temperature fluctuation then he's probably seen some anecdotal evidence in front of him where like condensation builds when it's heated all the time but if you let it cool a little bit you get a reprieve right. from Maybe excess condensation like yeah you know that makes me think about my mi clutch that i did in 2019 because the right. clutch had full-on you know almost 11 degree temperature fluctuations from night to day yeah. sometimes yeah. like sometimes it'd be sitting at 87 sometimes it would be sitting at 93 sometimes it would be at 82 and uh, I had no developmental abnormalities in the babies or anything like that. And, uh, and there was condensation in the tub, but it mm. was all on the bottom under all the moss. It was right. really interesting to see how much fluctuation was going on when we've kind of been brought up to believe it needs like super consistent. <laughs> like, line. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and just if, not what these eggs experience. I think that's just unrealistic too. And if, if we're thinking about the, the concept that those fluctuations and, um, a, a healthy amount of, uh, stress in this case, thermal stress, making mm-hmm. the baby stronger, right? What doesn't kill right. you makes you stronger. Maybe yeah. it is even a good idea, um, for your, your incubated clutches to not be yeah. flatlined the whole time. You know, I, that's and something that's, to look into. And everybody who purchases or builds incubators, they really go for the stability and they measure all the corners and they dial it in. And that's, that's impressive, right? <laughs> I've got a little Sobe incubator. I threw some heat tape on the back. I went so far as to put dowels behind the heat tape so there's airflow behind the tape. Um, but I, I replaced the fan with one that doesn't have a massive motor that creates a ton of heat. So it's relatively even, but I'm just like, eh, I kind of just wing it. And I know like, you know, closer to the fan is going to be a little bit less humidity than something down here. And so mm-hmm. I've got a couple little pockets in there. And yeah, I set it for one set point, but I'm sure it does a little bit of wiggling. And I, I never had issues, you know, in my incubation as a result of temperature fluctuation. And you see all these, you know, suppositions about like, well, maybe this baby's all kinked because there is a weird thing in the incubator. And yeah, like huge spikes will kill things, of course. But um, I just don't think, you know, this strict artificial approach is always the best. And I think 
you know, if somebody were to do the work over decades with multiple clutches and huge sample size, you would, you would probably see a correlation between uh, healthier, more robust babies when they have some wiggle room and, and natural fluctuations during incubation and, and whatnot, as opposed to super artificial, super precise. Right. So I have and, a question for you. Yeah. Um, in, in that vein, and this is something that I've been um, thinking about and, and brainstorming for my research purposes, what to you defines a healthy, robust baby? How would that, it, it's a, it's a question that I'm that I'm looking into. Like, what to you would indicate that? Yeah, measurable I, things, I guess. <laughs> me- okay, so for me, the first measurable thing, I guess there's there's probably two or three really key things that stand out to me. One is like if. <clears throat> is this assuming that the babies hatch out on their own? We're not cutting and pulling them out. Or yeah. like, if anything, we're doing like an artificial pip at most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to me, to me, it's seeing a baby that comes out with fully absorbed yolk, not dragging anything around. It's ready to go, whether it's fully closed up or not, just, you know, it's gone. There's nothing trailing it. It, it absorbed properly. Um, obviously no physical deformities no spinal deformities and then a baby that for a species if we have the data assuming it's something we have the data on knowing what the average hatching weight size is if you get something a little bit above average and it's a clutch consistent detail then i would consider that a good sign of robustness another thing that comes later is how quick do they shed and get onto food Um, how and then the, the one that's kind of like, I don't know how much you can measure it other than anecdotal, like visually, but confidence. Mm-hmm. I think confidence is a variable in in how we manage our snakes and th- their confidence that isn't talked about enough. And I think uh, a, a slightly more robust, healthier weight size than average, um, full absorbed yolk, you know, hatching and, and coming out, doing everything it's supposed to, having its first shed as it's supposed to per the species norms. And then following suit with eating its appropriate meals soon, which, you know, certain species that's kind of not necessarily possible (laughs) or tricky. Right. Yeah. But, and then we're lucky we're going to have to figure that out with these blackheads. (laughs) Right. Right. And then, and then there's something to be said, like, is it just one individual that hatches out like that from the clutch or is the whole clutch robust like that? So I think there's two things to look at individual parameters and the whole clutch at those parameters. And so I think that's, that's kind of what I define, excuse me, what I define as a really healthy and robust baby. So nice. that MI clutch, I sent you the data that yeah. um, the clutch experienced. Uh, average carpet python hatchling weight across most of the, the species and subspecies is like 18 to 22 grams in that range. Probably 20 is more like it. Um in that maternally incubated clutch, I had a baby weigh as much as 33 grams when it hatched out. And I had a baby weigh as little as 22, but the average hatchling weight was about 29 grams. That's amazing. Across yeah. 16 live babies. And, uh, and so they, cool. 15 of the 16 ate 
three and a half weeks after hatching. The one that didn't ate three weeks later. And it's mm. this really shy female that I have who has to be drop fed. Okay. Um, but like, that's the only asterisk to that clutch as far as robustness and, and, and consistent, you know, feedback yeah. across the entire clutch. It's interesting. I, I feel like you'd have to think from a natural history standpoint that bigger babies have a better chance of surviving those early, uh, that early period of life where everything's mm-hmm. trying to eat them. But mm-hmm. maybe do you, would you agree with that? Or do you think maybe the smaller ones can get into different hiding places and, no, <laughs> and maybe I, the smaller ones? I think there is something to being big, robust, and confident right when they come out. And that's yeah. where that feeding demonstration shows you that confidence, um, that first opportunity to act on its instincts. But the other thing too is I think when you get in species that are supposed to have like an average number of clutches and you get really big size, that's when you start seeing runts. And, mm-hmm. and to me in the wild, that's like a female who ate so well, she tried to like her body tried to produce extra follicles, more follicles in greater numbers to have a greater chance of her offspring surviving. And I think at a certain point, some of them don't maybe get all the nutrition and you're going to mm-hmm. eventually get runts mm-hmm. and weird ones that are probably going to be the first ones to be predated upon. And in yeah. theory, they're taking the first hits from the predators, allowing their maybe more healthier and robust siblings to to avoid such predation at that on out of there. <laughs> yeah. You know, we see it with turtles hatching at beaches or whatever. So, you know, maybe there has to be runs. I mean, there has to be the ones that don't make it, uh, you know, that's, that's just the, the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've most certainly had clutches where it was a smaller number and everything was big and robust. And then I've had some where it was like a bigger number and there were one or two that like, took longer to have their first shed or took longer to get on food or didn't get on food at all and ended up dying. And I think you see that with, with larger clutch sizes, clutch sizes than is, is typical for a certain species. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, I think we see a lot of things that can lead us to understanding like just what really helps. Is it like, is there a certain size factor where if you go too big, that's when you start having, abnormalities in your clutch because your female's too fat so she's donating too much or i don't know there's just all sorts of things because there's a correlation when you look at a lot of the old data between mass size and clutch size but eventually at a certain size there's got to be deleterious effects certainly yeah i the talk of of baby confidence and baby stress too that's such Mm -hmm. an interesting one because Mm -hmm. I get what you're saying. Like, especially in captivity, the confident ones are, are the ones that are going to thrive for us. Yeah. But I wonder too, if, if out in a natural setting, the gung ho confident one that is me against the world and just gets after it, that one might get picked off first too. Cause it doesn't have the, the stress to think I need to hide. Things are trying to hurt me. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so interesting. You know, maybe there's something to that with blackheads and why you have to sort of, or as far as the hobby goes, you, you sort of have to assist and force feed them to get started because, you know, again, small sample size in my experience, uh, our two blackhead adults, they are not like tear your face off, come lunging out of the tub for food animals. Right. And they're eight foot big animals that like yeah. have some confidence about their strength and size. 
Um, so that's interesting. And then the baby that we have at the shop, he has to be drop fed and he's the shyest, most defensive, like twitchy freak out little thing ever, but he doesn't bite. He just, he flips yeah. out, loses it. Yeah. And so I've got to think, okay, these things in the wild, when they hatch, they could be eaten by their parents, other blackheads, <laughs> goannas, a lot of goannas, yeah. birds. Right. Like who knows what else, you know, lots, cane lots toads, a big ass cane toad could reasonably eat a baby hatchling blackhead. Mm. So maybe, maybe what, what we're trying to do is just get them going and get them confident, but maybe there's some other variable that they need to, to pull out that confidence instinctually because you'll see babies in a clutch that'll grab food right away. I'm trying to, you know, bite you out of the egg. And those tend to be mm-hmm. the, the best feeders. Right. Right. But blackheads, if they all have to be forced, are they, are they all like that one baby that we have at the shop? Is that like a consistent thing? So if it is mm-hmm. okay, they're consistently really timid. They have some instinct to be timid and survive. So what do they need? Do they need to be in burrows? Like, do we need to keep them like some tarantulas where you keep a deep tub of sand, put a tube in and let them burrow a thing and just like leave food at the entrance and that's how they start? Or is it a certain prey item or a certain time of day? Like, do they do best only being fed at night because they have this instinct? Like, who knows? Like, I I am no blackhead authority. And I'm sure this has been discussed 10 times over by, you know, Jason Hood and Derek Roddy and everybody else involved in blackheads. And they're probably, if they heard this, they, you know, they probably have thought through all this and I'm probably naive as can be, but this is just stuff that I think about and confidence always seems to be a factor or a variable that I notice Mm -hmm. that isn't talked about. So I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's very, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways to look at it and we will not be able to know what's, Right. <laughs> but that's the fun part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and, you know, there's the also idea the of healthy of... stress is just a fascinating yeah. one to me. Right. Well, in uh, while I was in Santa Barbara, they they had a great program of of uh, what's like professional development, progressive learning uh, for keeper staff. And they would bring speakers in and trainers in a couple times a year. And and it was all just about keeping the gears turning, exploring other avenues, making sure we're, you know, doing everything we can. And, and one of the guys they had come speak, and I, I wish I could remember his name. It was a long time ago. Um, he came to talk about uh, behavioral enrichment and, and how it can be applied to all the animals in our care and how it can be used to um, abate stress reduce stereotypic behaviors, a lot of different benefits when keeping animals in as close to a, a natural setting as we can. But, you know, obviously space is limited, time is limited, sure. things like that. Yeah. And one of the things that was probably the only really potentially controversial subject was that acute stress is actually a form of enrichment and right. it helps keep their instincts primed, which is a very natural thing. Um mm-hmm. And, and that can be, you know, giving them bedding, like giving bedding that's been peed on by a leopard to a herd of gazelle or something like that. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Yeah. Lose their freaking minds all day. <laughs> and then the keepers like pull it away, you know, later. But what that means is those animals all think about what their brain is doing. It's excreting these natural like 
hormones and all the, these different the oh shit hormone <laughs> yeah whatever that's called and and that's that's a very healthy natural behavior we always talk about yeah. enrichment and eliciting natural behaviors well that's eliciting a natural behavior then and you that's have a, gazelles being gazelles <laughs> right and then there's, then there's you know you got to take it only so far you can right. you can certainly freak your animal out to the point where it hurts itself especially fragile hoof stock but the same thought process applies like you know that's why sometimes i'll throw sheds from another male in with a male mm -hmm. or a pair of snakes just to really fire them up that's yeah. a little bit of acute stress now it helps elicit a natural behavior to be like oh dominant oh my female like get them out of here yeah. or whatever and sometimes yeah. it doesn't work but it's it's enrichment and it's definitely part of their natural repertoire behaviors and what they would experience in the wild because let's let's face it nature is brutal so these animals are going to be like attacked from the the minute they're born like my apodora when i got him as a fresh baby dude still had his umbilical slit oh, like nothing okay. open but it was clear he had only had maybe one shed in his life and was maybe two months old and dude already had scars on him from like something with an audible like a noticeable mam mammalian shaped jaw structure bite him on the tail Ooh. something probably from a bird based on these two points on another spot and he like had two little two little noticeable ones and a couple others that were probably just environmental but he had clearly like almost been eaten twice that's and he crazy was, he was two months old yeah um so yeah i just think that uh you know maybe we we overthink things <laughs> it's it's learn or learn or die right for for the wild specimen and yeah i guess part of the challenge for keepers like us now who are trying to be conscious of ecology and natural history is finding those balances right because like sure. you said you can definitely swing that pendulum too far <laughs> and yeah. then you're you're not servicing the animal anymore um so it's uh that's an interesting one too it's like to what extent is it beneficial? And then at what point does it start to become uh, traumatic? <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is something that people can do, whether they're into breeding or just keeping to further the, the quality of care for your animals. The other thing that I wanted to mention, if somebody is curious about enrichment and does do that, is the second step or the last step of it is the assessment. And Ryan Dumas talks about this in some of his videos um, and it's it's going back and revisiting what you've done and evaluating if it had the desired effect, mm -hmm. uh, if it was beneficial, if it had any, um, y you know, uh, side effects that were negative or you learned something else to make sure if you're going to implement that bit of enrichment again, it's either more safe or more stimulating or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So you, you should always go back and look at it. Like if I'm if I'm going to give my snake you know, this particular piece of furniture, I'm going to pay attention to how they use it yeah. and whether it's a problem in anything, any way or not. And you, you do the same with enrichment items or whatever. So it's Definitely. the same thing with like, if you're trying out new bedding, like when I first got my Dumeril's boas, I put them on dry, fluffy coconut husk thinking like that would work because that's what they like. And they wouldn't eat. As soon as I put them on dry, fluffy Aspen, they started eating. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's just little textural things or whatever it may be for the animal, the species. Yeah. So um, it, it varies quite a bit. And uh, there's a lot that we can sort of learn more about our animals by paying attention to how they respond to what we're giving them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've been I've been watching the false water cobra that I gave a UV like a hawk. And 
Dude. He is out so often. And, you know, like before he was just in quarantine. And so maybe that had something to do with with clinging to the hide. But it really does seem like it has upped the activity levels. Um, At the very least, you see it as a natural part of his existence. Like it, yeah. it, he needs yeah. that. It's part of what exhibits his natural behavior, right? Yeah. And, and whether it's to gain the uv or stay away from the uv it's definitely uh impacting his his behavior right so some days he'll be most active when it's on other days will be most active when it's off but there's a correlation either way sure Um, sure it's interesting yeah Yeah. i I think about that personally a lot uh, pertaining to my apodora because after so when he was in the the tub with the specialty enclosures design custom like sliding door yeah convert tub kit whatever it's called the tub conversion kit the one that got all melty yeah so <laughs> before it caught fire and melted um the the heat tape not the door um i've noticed a lot of patterns of behavior in my apodora when when the sun and light was coming through the window uh he would come out and bask on top of his hide and then he would go and hide as soon as it started getting dark and he was doing this pretty much daily and uh and he would be bright green just beautiful like as amazing as I could expect. And then mm. after the, the tub melted, I had to put him in, uh, in uh, just a 41 court. Right. Um, I, he still got his plants and his cork and another hide and a bunch of stuff to, to sort of keep it familiar, but he's much darker in the tub and I take him out right. and his behavior hasn't really changed. Like he's still sweet and inquisitive, but I don't see him basking and he's dark. And then I take him out and 15 minutes later, he's back to his light color self. But I have to think that like being in the tub deprives him of that sunlight where he'd be doing all these natural behaviors. So to me, Apodora Mm -hmm. is a species that needs to be in some sort of enclosure where he can have light and photo period. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's just an anecdotal thing that I've observed and it's really making me think. And, you know, my girlfriend got me some led lights for Christmas and, Nice. I've been meaning I've been meaning to do this for a while and retrofit every cage, even with LED lights. It doesn't even necessarily have to be UV light, but just the photo period itself, I think, can make a difference. Now, if you can sure. incorporate UV light and and everything, like I'd say, go for it at this point. You know, um, yeah. So nice, yeah. You know, I have actually also observed that that falsy with the UV is lighter. Um, mm-hmm. Now he recently shed. So I kind of chalked it up to that was probably the reason, but maybe it does have to do with the fact that I'm providing the UV because in the quarantine bin, he was pretty dark. And now I'm like, what, what the heck? It looks like what they call a hypo. Um, The AB pictures are completely different. So it's interesting. Um, Ryan Cox asks, how would you assess food enrichment? Um, Food enrichment. Well, I would just assess it by like, okay, so your normal pattern of behavior is this animal eats the X food item X amount of time during the week. And then you introduce some novelty and see what happens, whether the animal refuses food or eats it all. Or um, if, if you see patterns of behavior change, like if he keeps eating it and nothing changes, like you're at least enriching his palate. Um, but if he's like refusing food or spends more time eating that certain type of food, like if it's a monitor lizard that has to take apart a certain prey item, like a crawfish or something, you know, that's enriching, even though they're still eating everything, maybe the process of how they ate it, um, was different, but like for snakes, 
it's in, it's difficult to enrich snakes because they don't give you a lot of feedback really like uh external feedback they either eat it or they don't um but you could observe them during that feeding opportunity and see if they just flat out avoid it or if they're thinking about it the whole time before they eat it there's a lot of factors to that and that you know snakes are probably harder than say lizards or frogs or things that will give mm -hmm. you more behavioral expression with food whether like frogs will actively spit things out lizards will like <laughs> play with it you know so you can get a lot more cues from other animals but i think it's hard with snakes i just think if if you know that a species in the wild incurs you know a variety of food items obviously some things are harder to get than others especially depending on where you live but i think the more we can replicate a natural diet instead of just rats and mice for animals mm -hmm. that might experience other food items is enrichment for yeah. that purpose. So agreed. And like a different nutrient mix, which can only be a good thing, you know, if yeah. Yeah. There's different <laughs> there's you... different protein ratios and everything everywhere. So like switching it up, getting them different types of oils, different fats and things. Yeah. It's all exactly. Oh, just good. like for us, you know, people yeah. that live on the diet of steak and potatoes and never touch anything else. Yeah. Uh, Surviving like, versus thriving. Right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Like I could feed by Kribos only rats and mice their whole lives, but they probably wouldn't live as long and they'd probably be lazier and their coloration and scale quality would probably be below average. But, you know, when you give them things like fish with certain oils or quail or whatever right. it is, other snakes, then all of a sudden you, you're giving them a closer to a natural diet and then you're starting to see your animal in its prime. Yeah. So question for you there. It says, how, uh, how is the Apodora doing? He's doing awesome. He's doing great. He hasn't skipped a beat since having to move into his, uh, sort of darker abode. Um, the one thing that he doesn't have is, is, uh, his jungle gym, little PVC climbing structure anymore. So, feel bad about that but i take him out a lot more now because i'm very aware of the you know the difference in his world and i don't want to lose the relationship that we we have because seeing him behind the glass you know i was constantly just going in with him and just opening up the door and having a moment of interaction because this animal is going to be big and i want to have him yeah you know <laughs> trustworthy when he's a you know a potentially four they or five strong years. Yeah, he's already strong. Dude's four feet long and he's maybe a year and a half old. And like, if he wanted to, he could probably hold on to my hand to a point where like, if he's got his tail tucked in there and he was pissed off enough, I would just have to wait him out because he's yeah. very strong. Um, but he's taking food, no problem. I gave him one meal since moving into the tub. I'm cycling him with everything else. So being a, a you know, a Papua New Guinea species, he's experiencing what, you know, the Papuan carpets are experiencing. And so he's getting a, a fasting period this winter. He's getting, um, you know, a different uh, cycle of temperatures and things. So I don't want to like overfeed him, but everything shows that he's doing really well. So the one weird thing is the, the fake plants that were in his enclosure, they still smell like melted plastic. It's kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's sad. It's a bummer. Not a good dude. smell. No, no, but it's a good reminder to, you know, mind your P's and Q's and check your equipment. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, dude. So what else were dude. we, uh, what else were we gonna just BS about on here? Cause we've just well, been. Yeah. We've just been going. Uh, I'm pretty excited. 
I've got a pair of inlands and a roughie coming from Nick. Ooh, uh, you do get, you are getting yeah. the roughie, huh? So that's gonna be good. I uh, I think he's just waiting a little bit for uh, temperatures to to mm-hmm. not be what they are to ship those but yeah, that's it's probably a bit be... colder up there for him too yeah exactly that's gonna be awesome and then i also picked up a 2018 woma girl um oh nice from zion hill exotics that mm-hmm. i'm super excited about so a couple early editions what, is, what does that put your woma collection to now that's gonna be 2.2 so that's that's uh gonna be the second female so is that a where nice you're round number? Is that where you're stopping with your collection of Womas for now? Until you produce this year, and then... <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that Woma is pretty, pretty impressive. She's unique, dude. She's she's just staying in a tight coil on the heat, coming out for food and going back, and then when the males yeah. in, they breed. I think she's, she's done already because she's got the color, you know, mm-hmm. the vibrant oranges, but also a weird pattern abnormality. You know, she's yeah. got both going on. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see those babies. I'm torn because I also like the other female we have at the shop, high contrast, really right. nice. So like, what do I do? Do I, do I get a pair from that crazy, um, aberrant sort of reduced pattern animal right. and, and line breed for that look? Or do I try and maintain a semblance of diversity and get one from each? Because if yeah. they both produce, I can, you know, I have access to whatever. So uh, um, it's, it's a, I'm struggling with that too. Remember I was messaging you like, which one do I get? Cause there was this lighter one that I went with that kind of had a broken pattern and a lot of oranges and whatnot. But then there was another girl that was high contrast, pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a male with that exact look. Um, right. But I went with the lighter, more orange one. Yeah. So, eh. I guess you can't stop at 2.2 with one. I guess that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Uh, it's it looking like, lie. like more like 3.5. Maybe 3. just 6. like get the Wilmas to a place where the bread liar at have like 11 or 12 of them. <laughs> 3.6. There you go. Why not? Yeah. yeah screw it. And then get, for the inlands, there you, go. Um, there you go. Get them all. Yeah. Oh no, there's no question. Like I'm <laughs> eventually the goal here is I'm in a two bedroom apartment right now with my friend. Uh, but the goal is to get Centralian to a point where the, the business, if you will, can, buy the other room and then just yeah, expand exactly. the, the operation yeah, um, pay for itself. yeah that would be sweet uh and then yeah for the inlands uh so it's a pairing that nick did um that uh one of the parents was schofield and the other was a unrelated um stripe stripe project that didn't prove out so mm-hmm. not schofield or maug line is it uh from Julian's line? Because doesn't he have a third like sort of unrelated line to those as well? He does. I believe these were from Paul, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Okay. Uh, so I don't want to speak on that and be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But uh that's pretty cool. Um I'm gonna actually be raising up the girl here and then a really good friend of mine, one of my biologist uh co-workers is going to raise up the the male um nice she's up oh, your way. Yeah. she's in sacramento cool um, so she'll probably be coming to gx3 to get her supplies for that one nice <laughs> all right um and then yeah the roughie that that's going to be crazy oh you're you're I'm going so you're going excited. the roughies 
I That's just I couldn't say no. I I wouldn't be able to either. Honestly. This man texted me, said, "Oh, by the way, do you need a roughie? I have extras." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> sure. And then you call him, and he he does the Nick Mutton salesman routine, yeah. which is just yeah. so effective. He's like, "Nobody ever sells lone females. I just got killed on the odds." It is. <laughs> oh my you can't god! Argue. Um, uh, he's too funny. Yeah, but. I went back and because, you know, I, I did a little self check in with myself, if you mm-hmm. will. You know, do I want this because everybody else is getting them and they're rare or do I really actually want this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back and I read their chapter in the complete carpet python. I was like, this is so cool. Like people yeah. didn't even know this thing existed till the 70s or something like that. Yeah. You know, and they I, I think the most fascinating part about that that chapter is the statement that this might be a species that we're catching at their last second on their way out of, of like evolutionary history. Yeah. Um, they're just in this little pocket. That's all that's left for them. You know, they probably used to be more uh, widespread. That's just so cool. So in terms of geeking out about their, their natural history, like I think I do want it yeah. <laughs> and they're so different. Yeah. I Somewhere think that's between a chondro and a, and a carpet. I that's guess. the biggest challenge to, staying focused on one species yeah <laughs> is that when you start looking out there you start realizing that there are some species with some pretty unique stories mm-hmm. whether it's just um stories of their evolution that explain a behavior or an attribute or just how durable they are in these crazy extreme environments or something there's always something that has its draw right and yeah. uh yeah that's definitely one of those species that has kind of uh, an unprecedented history history behind it as well as uh behavioral uniqueness yeah. uh physical attributes that are very unique and it's right. kind of got the trifecta of all those like really intriguing sort of features that draw people in so it's hard not to like them I think. agreed yeah. yeah i can't wait to get hands on and yeah. See what all the fuss is about. Plus, Eric did it and he was like, Oh, now I get it. So I was like, ah. yeah, well, Eric's one of the great enablers, too. So he is, but that's yeah. okay. Oh, and, and Owen is too. You know, I, I mentioned like possibly getting a snake. Owen's like, Oh, I'll send you a such and such. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. slow down. We, I haven't even gotten the animal. You're well, pause, pause, pause. That was I gotta, funny. Check, I gotta yeah. check my space. I don't have a big old house with like two stories and all this room like you do. I was driving when all that happened. Did are you gonna end up getting that or no? No, no, no. no. Cool. A friend locally is and she knows the history behind it. And so she's Sweet. you know a responsible person who loves that sort of stuff. So uh she's dipping her toes in, in that project. So that's pretty cool to see. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So um what else we we there was something else we oh, were yeah. talking about. We were about. gonna talk about oh yes, Lucas I do need diamonds. diamonds. <laughs> we all need diamonds, let's be real. Oh, yeah, I, I really do want years, I need diamonds, I need inlands, and I need Nova Guineas, and I'm adding Imbricata to the list just because I'm remaining manifest. Uh, <laughs> I'm yes, I'm going to will them into existence here in the United States sooner or later. I'm just gonna keep saying it with Eric. Damn. And other people will jump on the the warm, fuzzy, magical fairy train, and eventually they'll just show up. But um, yeah, I I'm I'm an obsessive like I gotta do like in video games, I gotta complete all the quests, I gotta do them all, I gotta do all <laughs> yeah. of this, I gotta complete all of this. So like with carpet pythons, it's like I need 
all of them. <laughs> and then I'm sitting here going, well, how do I do that? Well, I could get rid of these and these and these, but I love these and I love these and I love these. So I'm, I'm as like kind of all over the map as I can reasonably yeah. be currently. So, you know, if I were to admit to myself that I need roughies too, it might even veer me further off course. So <laughs> I keep making like uh lists for myself, like uh for what I need to do, and I keep veering away from them, and then I have to make <laughs> a new list in yeah. response to the mistakes I've made. Uh, oh yeah. But uh not mistakes, uh happy accidents. Uh happy accidents. So right now for me it's focus on the, the bread lab reading. Um, mm. I started taking them out in bins last night, um, got them down into the high fifties last night. And that was just with the window cracked a little bit. So we're going to get yeah. even lower than that. Um, the lowest I've been able to get my brettles down to is 64. For sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, that I'm, is a drop. <laughs> experience a significant drop at night. They have mm -hmm. been for the last couple of weeks more so than the rest of the animals. Right. Um, but Fingers crossed. Um, I don't know. It'll, I, it's kind I, of right on the right on the line there, I think. Yeah, and that was only like two nights. Ever since then, it's like the lowest I've been able to get them to is like 67. But like mm -hmm. they're cold as heck to the touch when I pull them out in the morning and they're they're doing their thing just much more slowly. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't, it'll be an experiment within itself to see if these temperatures have been enough. Sure. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the reason why I haven't put diamonds very high on my list is because I don't feel like I could do them justice mm. uh, as far as being able to get them cold enough. So gotcha. you're on the list, but uh, until I upgrade <laughs> my living space to accommodate some sort of colder area right. um, for that, you know, I feel like I need to focus on other things. Um, I, yeah, I have no problem because our heater doesn't even work and the insulation is trash. <laughs> so I'm cold anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could let my room get cold and it probably would. But for some of the species in here, it would be too much. Like it'd be too cold for all my tarantulas. It would be too cold for the monitor, the frog, the, the roach colony, like all these different things, you know. So <laughs> yeah. I have a space heater on in here that keeps it from getting too low. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, man. If I had more space, you know, so yeah, it yeah. Is what it so is. the list bread live reading. And then the first thing I need to do, I just, I just bought more animals and that needs to pause. The first thing I need to do <laughs> is the six foot cages, which I keep talking about. Like, I know what I want. I know where I'm going to get them from. Um, I'm just, I'm waiting for this breeding season for the brettles to be over before I do it, because I think it's a really bad idea to move enclosures in the middle of that like from what i've um heard from from people that have a lot of success that scenting that they do in their own cage is really beneficial for right. uh breeding success um so i i don't want to move cages until the season's over but then as soon as it is i'm getting all the bread lie into six footers now uh also do you have uh, afors brettles no i do not okay i i don't either zach um so they're awesome, but none here, yeah, sadly. <laughs> um, I've always sort of been like on pause with my Brettles projects until lately. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I uh, I think about that a lot with the scenting thing. After listening to Ari talk about how female bull and I like to scent out of their hides, even right after you clean them, things like that. I think about that a lot. Um, 
my boss Grant at the shop, he mm-hmm. he always likes to leave some of their mess around this time of year. So I, I don't clean as much this time of year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I mean they're like my animals aren't eating a ton right now, so they're not uh, they're not like you know making a ton of mess. But if they leave you know a little bit of urates here and there, especially adult females, I'm leaving it. I'm not really yeah. cleaning their cages right now. I'm letting their funk kind of do their thing. Right. There's uh, chemical cues embedded in in that funk. For yeah, the, uh, for the males, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I, to me, like, I don't know. I think that's something I'm, I, I just kind of tune into a little bit, and I don't know. We'll see if, we'll see if for the bread lie they're they're cooler nights. Plus, uh, you know, as Tony said, put ice cubes in their water. The thing is, I uh, I put them in a tub in the bathroom at night. So, um, and then back in their cage, uh, in their enclosures during the day. So they have access to a hot spot and water during the day, but they go right. into the cold at night. So I could, you know, the ambient in my room right now is only getting up to 73. So there's cool ambient, there's cold water, there's cold nights. Um, and then leaving her scent in there, I'm really curious to see if that's enough for them to breed or if, if not, does that mean that it's really like, that cold drop has to be below sixties, mm-hmm. you know, So it'll be interesting to learn one way or the other. I'm not in a, a huge rush to produce brettles pythons. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. You know, yeah. I've got a lot of other stuff producing this season. So, or, so it looks like we'll see fingers crossed. I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. so the other thing that we had talked about hitting on today was talking about how to be a good, uh, steward or resource for new folks as, as right. two two dudes that have worked or and or currently work at reptile shops yeah. um yeah yeah so w- what really prompted <laughs> i mean i think about this all the time yeah. but there's always those incidents that you hear of that remind you that not everybody uh has the same amount of experience with reptiles as you and they're still going through that learning curve of understanding genetics or husbandry or just kind of the taboos of the industry. And, and as people go through their experience in reptiles, they go through a lot of these phases of excitement that, or interests of certain subjects that sometimes more advanced or experienced keepers frown upon or look down upon or get annoyed by or just have no patience for some justified some not um and being in involved in the retail side of things you know you've seen it i see it all the time first timers newcomers parents who've got young kids who are just finding out about it and fostering their interest things like that and and those people they have the ability to go to the library and learn but or YouTube or find all these credible resources, but along the way they encounter other people involved in the hobby. And sometimes, sometimes people aren't always the most polite Mm -hmm. and it can really ruin somebody's experience with reptiles. You know, they'll associate that negative experience with a species or a community or, um, just whatever it is, you know, and it can really have, negative lasting impressions for them, their family, their future generations, kids, etc. And, and I think um, we have a responsibility as the experienced people 
or or just to anybody who has less experience or is asking questions and is still learning, if you already are, you know, a little bit further along, I guess, in your career, your understanding or your time with reptiles, whatever you want to call it. Um, your journey. Yeah, your journey. <laughs> I just think. It really is think, a journey. <laughs> it is a journey. It's a lifestyle. Like some people do it for a yeah. short time and they get out because it's not for them. And that's still their journey. But sometimes we curb their journey by being rude to people or, you know, creating a negative experience. And sometimes it's difficult to, you know, maintain that patience and understand. But I think the best thing to remind ourselves is that not everybody has had the same experiences as you. Not everybody has had the same, I don't know, access to uh, experts or experiences or information or they just haven't gotten there yet and they're just starting and so they're really enthusiastic about something that you might put down or think is basic or not interesting or whatever or that Uh, you think is so difficult that you just these people are like i don't even have time to deal with you right now because the learning curve is too steep like that's also the other side of it you know And, and i think when when we get to a point where we're you know if anybody is constantly just being a drag, it's like eh, you really might want to reevaluate whether you should be involved in reptiles or maybe you need a vacation or maybe you just need to reevaluate the amount of time you're putting in it. Because if you're ruining people's experiences, that's so, so long lasting. And that as human nature shows us, we remember the negative more than the positive And we yeah. discuss these negative experiences more than the positive. And, Denton Gallagher hit the nail on the head. And I was just going to say it. We all had to start somewhere. So I remember when a bearded dragon was the most exciting thing on the planet to me. I remember when I had my first California king snake and that thing was mind blowing. I remember all of these experiences leading up to Nile crocodiles are just kind of like, you know, it's not so shocking to me to see one. It's not shocking to see Komodos. It's not shocking to work with rattlesnakes it's you know because i've done all that the shock value is kind of gone i still enjoy it, appreciate it but i have to check myself and i get these reality checks all the time at work when people come in and they're just having a great time yeah seeing the first goldfish or seeing a baby crested gecko like it you literally see people losing their mind and having such a great time and then when they come in and the first words out of their mouths are they went to this other really well-known big name, like long-standing, reputable pet shop and had their worst experience ever. Yep. And then they tell you that they're so grateful for the time you spent with them. Like, that's my job. Right. I'm not doing anything extra. I just happen to be super enthusiastic about this stuff. And and I don't know, maybe they just, they. it's sad that they're not used to getting that sort of treatment somewhere. Right. And, you know, it's... We just got to remember that sometimes somebody isn't on that same stage of their journey of understanding. Like if you got to explain UVB lining to somebody, be patient because right. that's complex stuff to somebody who hasn't had to deal with it or, yeah. you know, BD and vitamin supplementation or, you know, the new trend is bioactive. That's not just so cut and dry. So people, you know, they need to be taught that. And everybody has somebody that fosters their interest into something and everybody has something that killed something for somebody. And mm-hmm. so I see it all the time. People come into the shop and like, man, I'm never going X, Y, or Z place because I had this negative experience. And I was telling you the other day, I just had a very profound one that was, I had stopped me in my tracks. I was so floored that somebody could be so checked out and rude to somebody yep. that's trying to 
learn that's trying to spend money with them, Especially, which supports yeah. in a in a retail setting where you would think that the reason that yeah the uh you know owner employee is there is to help people yeah. <laughs> and sell animals <laughs> right and it might sound like a dirty thing to people who aren't involved in the in the industry or the hobby but like you know if, if the, in, the industry isn't going anywhere pets are here to stay people are going to buy them so for me as somebody who's a, who's been historically involved in conservation and education right on, on the zoological side of thing i still feel like i have an ethical responsibility and a moral duty to inform people appropriately, do the right thing for the animals and the customer. And so sometimes that can be as simple as making sure that their first experience in the store is at least positive. Right. Even if they don't spend any money with you, like those people are going to come back. Those people are going to say how great of an experience they had with you or, or how much they learned. And you just got to take the time um, sometimes yeah. and it can be a drag digitally you know, just speaking in terms of like, if somebody messages you on Instagram or some social media platform because they follow you and they finally worked up the courage to message you and put themselves out there, mm. it could be so devastating to those people if you don't acknowledge them back or you're like rude back or fake back. Absolutely. Yeah. And I get it. We don't all have the time and some people can push too much, but like, you know, there's just ways yeah. to go about things in, uh, in just a, a humane way, just being a good person to people. And, Absolutely. and I, I'm no saint. I am no saint. I am. I definitely have moments where I wake up and I'm like, man, did I really just say that online, or did I, <laughs> did I really like do that? And once it's got, once it's done, it's done, right? Yeah. You know, the only thing you do is yeah. apologize or not do it again or learn from it. But at the same time, you know, in person experiences are very profound, and yes, it's just if you have been around so long and and have done so many things that you think that you're above the new folks walking into your shop that don't know a damn thing but want to then you shouldn't be in retail anymore you should take yeah. your your uh you know almighty collection and just go be a private keeper because you're not helping anybody anymore. yeah or maybe you just need a break from it whatever mm -hmm. it is sometimes we just need a reset sometimes we need to reinvigorate that spark and and whatever it is sometimes life can be overwhelming and just really bog you down and you're just a negative asshole for a year and then you come out of it and then you go back to what it was you loved or whatever but yeah i just you know when somebody walks out of the shop and they're they started their conversation with like, oh, thank you. You know, the last place I went to, the, the owner was a jerk and he was condescending and he was like complaining about his food getting cold at home instead of, <laughs> you know, being yeah. on the clock, the shops open for the next 20 minutes, you know, yeah. doing what he's supposed to do for his customers. And, and the reason why I'm not naming any names is because it's not about shaming any shops or, or trying to, you know, say that GX3 is the best or whatever. Like, right. yeah, yeah, right. I support GX3. And yeah, I think we're the best, but not at the expense of others. I think it's a community thing. Um, and that's just, you know, having, you know, fighting for your team or whatever. But um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just those moments stick out to me and, and make me feel like I've done something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks the retail side of thing is just, you know, making money. And it's, it, it it's not, I mean, yeah, a business has to make money to survive, but um, we're at the forefront of, you know, making sure 
sulcatas aren't being let go or iguanas aren't being let loose in places they shouldn't by making sure that people have a good experience and get the right fit and have the right information and have somebody who guides them appropriately because people are going to spend their money whether whether you want them to or not but you just got to kind of facilitate that good experience and if you can do it while thinking of yourself as a steward for somebody who's still learning you can really make a big impact Absolutely. And, the, and, and that's and, just lasting con- consequences and ripple effects down, down the rest of that person's life involved in, in reptiles. Yeah. And you have to keep in mind too, like, obviously, like we said, you know, everybody starts somewhere um, and everybody learns by making mistakes. Yeah. From my point of view, when I was working at the shop, I was trying to save people from making the mistakes that I had already made um, yeah. just by explaining my experience, you know, but, and and this question here. So how do you feel about talking somebody out of buying an animal that is not a good beginner animal if they have no experience? And that's something that I'm sure we've both struggled with for sure. Um, And you can't, you can't win, win them all. People are going to do what they're going to do. Or if, if you, you know, if you don't sell them there, they might still go somewhere else, but at the very least you can filter that. Yeah. So for, for me, for this one, I just tried to be 100% brutally honest mm-hmm. about the facts of caring for said animal, right? So like if somebody came in and said, I'm here to buy a panther chameleon. And I said, cool, you know, what What have you kept before? Oh, nothing. You know, then I'm not going to say, bye, you know, you, you're right. not ready. I'm right. going to tell them, okay, so you should know. This is more of an advanced animal. You need to expect to do A, B, C, D every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> or, you, just, you just talk them through the realities of it. You talk them through the realities of it in a in a non condescending way. Just you yeah. know, matter of factly, you know, mm-hmm. you you can do this, but this is what you're going to have to do. Yeah, if you want your animal to live, and you don't want thousands of dollars of vet bills you know there's a Um, lot of things that go through my head when going through that experience and mm -hmm. and a lot of it 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 comes down to like okay my opinion shouldn't matter in this what i will do is i will stay neutral and give them the facts and then try and coach them in the responsible way yes and i think that anybody regardless of experience, if they have the right mindset and they're the right, um, the, they're, if they're coming from a place of, you know, they are going to do the work here. Like this is what they want. You know, they are committed to learning and doing it the right way. Then I think that with an asterisk right. to it, <laughs> most people can keep most available animals if right. they're committed to it right like right. not like a caiman not like an american alligator sure, but, sure. you know a beginner that my, i had a roommate in college actually um that her first reptile was a panther chameleon that thing is thriving because she really wanted a panther chameleon was committed to doing it right is an engineering student who is smart enough to program a little microchip that does yeah. all the things for her with the misting right. and whatnot you know it's like uh, I, I don't think that it's ever our job to tell people you can't do this. I think it's, right. it has to just be more of um, advocating for the animal, yeah. being super honest about yeah. it, and yeah. hoping that people can 
make the right choice. I don't yeah. know. It's I mean, tricky. It's so tricky. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. There's only so much you should do. And there are ways to vet a potential customer by asking certain questions, eliciting certain responses. One of the things we do at the shop is if anybody's interested in a monitor lizard, which we do sell a few species of from time to time, um, for anything that requires a little bit more know-how and experience, we just simply, you know, get into a conversation with them and see if they'll show us photographs or ask them to show us, show us pictures of the enclosure and give us the details instead of just saying, yeah, 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 I know what to do for anything that requires a little more know-how. Well, just with anything, we talk people through the care before we ascertain what their level of experience is. But with the advanced animals, we really do a lot more vetting and I've, I've had to turn down, um, people from wanting to buy certain monitor lizards because just in the first few sentences, I can tell they've never kept anything and they're just trying to get something flashy because they saw it on Instagram. Right. And, and most people understand when I tell them what the animal is going to grow into or the care and stuff, most of the people are pretty honest about whether or not they can, they can handle that. Some people don't even hear the words that I say. Exactly. And, uh, and I, I, you know, that's when, the pricing of everything comes into play because you can say, all right, well, you're going to need to buy this and this and this and this and this and this and the animal. So, you know, they see the price tag of the animal and they're like, I can afford that. And then you add everything else. And they're like, well, I can't afford that. I'm like, well then, you know, yeah, that's another side of things that you have to, yeah. And that's what the the guys at nerd do. They, they have for their monitors and their advanced stuff. I talked to Jeremy about it. And they have a brilliant thing. Like they don't even sell monitors really on their sales floor. They have like one species of smaller guys. And and then their sales force is pretty good at filtering that. Anything more, you know, they have a huge price mark for their monitor lizards that keeps all the, you know, the tire kickers and the, and the you know, the weekend warriors that just think they know what they're doing out of there. But yeah. they're not they're not excluding people. They just have these little natural filters and they'll take people up into their monitor room. And just the, um, the temperature on the floor where they keep their monitors out there is too much for people. Um, so I think they have a lot of steps in place that mm-hmm. do that work for them. So now when I, I got my Husky, <laughs> that's a I great had to fill out. Example. Yes. I had to fill out an application. I had to mm-hmm. do an interview. I had a home visit. I was mm-hmm. thoroughly vetted. Um, and it was a long process from, I want this dog to, I have the dog yeah, with a lot of checks in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's acceptable and nobody bats an eye in the dog adoption world. Do you think that more of those types of steps should be applied to some of the reptiles we're talking about here, big monitors, retics, yeah. things that can really hurt somebody. Yeah. <laughs> do you I, think I, that? Yeah, I do hundred yeah. percent. And I think there are a lot of good people out there that do that just, you know, with the price point and having a conversation with people, I think they're pretty in tune to their market. A lot of the folks that have been doing it for a long time, but you know, there's always the people that, they don't care as long as they get the money and they don't right. think about it afterwards. And they don't lose sleep about it. Um, you know, some people, it's just a business is business, but I think, uh, I think a lot of the, the big animals like that, like water monitors and anacondas and, you know, big potentially dangerous lizards, they're being kept and bred by the people who are willing to put in the time and longevity for those animals. And I think, at that point, they really do care where their their offspring go. 
it's not just about the money, um, mm-hmm. even if the price point is high. So I think a lot of those people, by virtue of caring about their animals so much, will filter questions and kind of be able to, you know, make sure they don't have to deal with situations with irresponsible buyers. But, you know, people can be tricky. So sometimes it probably doesn't always work out as much as they would like. But yeah, I do think a responsible breeder should know when to not sell an animal to somebody based on red flags, conversation, whatever. I think, Mm -hmm. I think the click to buy now, here's my, you know, shipping information, send it sort of approach is just um, a little too callous and insensitive for the fact that these are living animals with a lot of particulars. And when you get into things that are big or invasive or potentially dangerous, I think it's our, our responsibility to do the right thing to make sure we don't, you know, put somebody in the news for, you know, a, a terrible incident for getting hurt from our animal or something like that. You know, yeah, it's the same thing as like accidents with venomous. Like if a retic gets out, it makes news because it's not supposed to be. That's bad. If a that's monitor, lizard, you know, is found wandering in some community, scares the crap out of somebody. That's bad. I think it'd be um, pretty bad even if like a Brettles python got out because they can freaking live anywhere. Well, yeah, <laughs> They'll would, survive. That would literally be a, a a different example of the exact thing that's going on in Florida with berms. And stuff. Like yeah. they find that spot like, oh, Sacramento, it gets 115 degrees in the summer and 40 in the winter. No problem. Find me a rock. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But no, I completely agree. I, I really think that there should be more. Uh, of that those checks in place for certain things um yeah well and and then especially in the retail say again sorry the other thing is also continuing to put out the information afterwards oh yeah i mean you need to when when people are new you know you need to in my opinion expect to be guiding them through things if you're you know if that's your role um -hmm. you know if you if you're a sell it and quit figure that's that's not helpful and the animal is the one that's going to suffer right so Mm -hmm. as usual everything comes back to do you care about the animal (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and and we've got some comments in the chat talking about specifically savannah monitors and it's you know i have one i've had him for over seven years now he's doing really well and and we get them from time to time in the shop because they are still imported. If we have a customer who's, who's produced a clutch, we'll, we'll get those, but it, it only happened once. Um, and that's a controversial species because it's so discussed. Like everybody's talked about it. The problem is that same sort of taboo about it doesn't exist for things that are frequently imported, like black roughneck monitors, red eyed tree frogs, uh, lines like all the other imports yeah and you know we don't we don't seem to look at things all the same but because it's a monitor lizard and it's got a history of being the cheap disposable throwaway pet it gets that attention so we'll get them in at at the shop from time to time but we still go through the same process of vetting people even though it's a, a lower dollar um seemingly basic animal it still requires the same attention to care and so i'll get people that'll come in and ask why is this so cheap or i just what's your cheapest lizard and they don't just get to buy it on the spot they've got to demonstrate what they know and and i will give them the reality of it because i have one i will tell them like you you know this is how 
it could go best case scenario. This is worst case scenario. Here's what's likely based on it being mm -hmm. an import. Here's some of the things you're going to experience. Here's the work you're going to expect to need to do. Here's the enclosure size you're going to roughly expect to need. Here's the amount of time and money and food. And this is their general care. And, and usually halfway through that, um, they're already looking at bearded dragons. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's also, you know, value in when you think somebody's maybe on, on the bubble kind of mm -hmm. like you're not hundred percent sure. Yeah. Give them the information and say, go home, think about it. You know, yeah. imagine this life with this animal. And if you're still up for it in a few days, then, then come back, you know, like yeah. nothing has to happen now yeah. <laughs> for people that aren't like, I've had the enclosure set up in my house for two weeks. I'm so ready. You know, like yeah. that's a different story. But yeah. for people that are completely coming into it blind, that, I think that's a good strategy as well. And then and then there's the other side of it. There's the folks that already have the animal or maybe already made that potentially bad decision. And they're now trying to come to you for information. Yeah, We mm -hmm. still owe them the same amount of time and respect. And, and at least for the sake of the animal, at least even if they're coming in saying like they've been duped this whole time by somebody else who lied to them about this and they didn't know the animal was going to get this oh, big or whatever. all the time. Oh, yeah. absolutely. There was and 20 calls a day when I was at the vivarium. My ball python won't eat. Help me. And most yeah. of my employees that, or coworkers that had been there longer were just like, I don't want to deal with it. And I was the new guy. So I, I took all those phone calls. Right. And right. I was happy to, to explain it. And it's terrifying how many of those people just had no idea what yeah. they're supposed to do and i'm like where did you get this who did this to you yeah. <laughs> you know it's where yeah. i got it 10 minutes ago it won't eat well, huh like leave it alone, leave it alone. Like, yeah. like what are your temperatures that... i don't know what do you mean temperatures yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. or the yeah. people that come in they're like what's uh, what's your cheapest turtle i hate that yeah i go that see that 30 dollar turtle over there it's going to cost you 500 dollars just in setup that's the cheapest turtle it's the 530 dollar one over there but it says 30 dollars. <laughs> well yeah you're going to need a filter aquarium basking furnishings food you know water quality lights all heaters all these different things and then all of a sudden they're like well i just i just wanted a baby turtle it's like that's what you need Sorry. yeah exactly I, I turn people down just by just being honest about what their care is i'd you know i have to remind myself sometimes like because we all know what the the really common terrible customer questions are and when they come in we're like oh well i know where this is going and you just have to like put that aside and do the right thing be like look this is really what this animal needs or you know this is the amount of time you'll spend cleaning this off and you change the filter or this is the ultimate size it's going to be. I mean, I talked a guy out of a water monitor. He returned the Savannah monitor he got because after 24 hours, it was too right. much for him. Yeah, I remember even, that. Yeah. He just didn't know. He didn't know. It was sold him over my weekend. And like, you know, they just didn't tell him everything or, or he BS to my, my coworkers, and, you know, conned them into thinking he knew what he was doing. And then, you know, when he returned it the next day and then asked to buy the, the captive born and bred water monitor, I was like, no, dude, like <laughs> that's not how it works. You, yeah. If you can't hang with a Savannah monitor, that's already well established and doing well. And you know, it's care is a little bit easier than a water monitor. It's not going to get as big. And I asked the guy, I was like, you, you realize that thing's going to get as big as you bigger lengthwise and probably weigh as much as your skinny little ass. Cause there was some little <laughs> scrawny gangster kid from the hood. And he just saw something on Instagram and he's doing the whole, like, like, you know, when some rich mafioso is like, Oh, 
oh yeah i might get that like you did that sort of thing i was like no i know where this is going and then i was like so you have a 150 watt bulb on a glass tank you couldn't keep a savannah monitor and you want me to sell you the water monitor yeah right I shot him straight i was like look dude this this one that you're returning and having the hardest time with is about as basic as it gets you're then asking for something that's about as advanced as it gets yeah no i'm not selling yeah and and that's the thing i think that the the highlight here is be respectful don't have your head up your own ass about Mm -hmm. your ego or whatever but also shoot straight be brutally honest with people and trust your instinct in terms of when you do need to say go do your research come back or a flat out no and And it's hard it's hard to give that constructive criticism it's hard to be involved in that conflict voluntarily like it's it's hard it is because it's really uncomfortable and and if you judge the book wrong you know maybe you just ruined reptiles for somebody that would have been a great keeper once they had the right tools and that's yeah that's the the other side those people um, could potentially be a fantastic keeper if coached right. You know? Yeah, it's exactly. really tough. At the very least, to me, I feel like I have a responsibility to at least this this surrounding area of Sacramento to make sure that people aren't finding, you know, snakes and reptiles that were abandoned in the middle of the streets because they were sold to somebody incapable. Like that is is a terrifying prospect. I don't yeah. want to see, you know, news about like somebody let their pet iguana go because they got it at the shop and the people didn't tell them how big it was going to get or whatever, you know, like we don't even carry iguanas at the shop regularly, but when people ask for them, we'll get them. But we, we talk to them over the phone and we go through it all before we even try and get some in. And it's just these little things like that, I think have a much longer lasting impact. That's bigger than you or I it's, it's more about thinking about the collective whole. And I think that's, that's the shift we're starting to see in just keeping in general, more attention to what these animals need. And I think we see it in, in this new age fad of bioactive because everybody thinks that's like going above and beyond and doing the literally most amount and most extra and trying to replicate nature and doing everything possible and everything less is just, you know, neglecting your animals and it comes from a good place right it comes from a place of wanting to do the right thing so i think we're seeing a shift for that and i think everybody in whatever part of the hobby whatever niche or role you fill or play in this reptile community as long as you're doing things from an ethical and moral and responsible standpoint you can all contribute to doing the right thing collectively so especially Mm -hmm. now when the microscope is so tight on everything everything under yeah. the microscope and it's yeah. not even and we're not even talking about venomous or free handling or any of that controversy <laughs> yeah, that's exactly on. like we're not even touching that we're just talking general like whatever you're keeping there's a level of responsibility and irresponsibility yes and i couldn't agree more you know one thing about carpet and coffee hmm. <laughs> coffee it goes straight to the bladder ah you got to go to the and when Eric is not here. I can't just sneakily sneak oh, away yeah. and come back. I'll be right back. I'm so you do it. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get Lucas out of here and we're all going to stare at this ugly mug. No, but he's right. The, the coffee does go right through you. Um, but this is so not to sound like we're up on a soapbox or high horse or anything, but 
it's just part of our, our, our daily experiences. Lucas has worked in, in pet shops before. I currently manage a retail shop as well as the breeding collection. So I'm kind of doing two things. So I experience the retail side of things as well as the collective, you know, animal care side of things still. So it's just something that we talk about in, in our personal chat between Lucas, Eric and Owen and I, and it's, you know, this carpets and coffee uh, Avenue is essentially just us trying to have a chit chat as if you would like going to meet a buddy for a cup of coffee and just whatever transpires transpires and the flavor of the week uh, for us has just kind of been what we've been experiencing. And it's, it's very parallel to a lot of, you know, other things ongoing responsible keeping in other States legislation uh, venomous, the, you know, the potential implications that, you know, accidents and, and bad news stories have. And, and one of the things is, not everyone has bad intentions. Most people come from a place of good intention. So we, we just have to remember that uh, everybody, you know, or not everybody is trying to just cause problems and, and burn down the reptile world. Some people just haven't been, you know, fostered into good moral and ethics and keeping and, and they just learn differently. So, um, and then the other thing is you, you really can't tell people what to do. Um, you can just choose to not be involved. You can give them all of your good, best advice, be as positive and neutral and encouraging of the, you know, the best practices in your opinion, but ultimately people are going to do what they're going to do and, you know, arguing and, and getting upset at somebody never helps anything in any circumstance. So it's like, but that's hard to do because it's human nature. And so I don't know. Yeah. And then you get the folks that have been around a long time that have been asked the same question thousands and thousands of times that are just burnt out and yeah. get snappy, which is well, another problem, especially on like Facebook and whatnot, you know, and, and getting burnt out is a natural thing too. Like if you've been doing something for so long and it's just lost that like spark of, you know, interest for you, that's normal. That happens to everybody. And that's not something that should be held against you. But like, the tough reality of that is, is it's hard to realize when you've burnt out sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, by the time you realize you've probably burnt a lot of bridges or just been really rude for the last, you know, whatever period of window it is. Yep. And so as uh, as Xavier Walker Exotics here says, too many people don't know how to take constructive criticism. And that's because constructive criticism itself is a very delicate thing. There's, mm. you know, a, a very fence, fragile line that you know, you got to walk when giving constructive criticism because certain word choice or, or inflections or emphasis yeah. can really come off the wrong way. Or like the first five words of how you start, it can seem very condescending and things like that. So especially online when the tone yeah. gets lost, when it's you're really not tough. speaking, it's you tough. Know? Yeah. So that's, that's where it takes a little bit of active thought when you're, if you've seen something and you have this urge, like I'm going to give my opinion and advice on this take a step back and, and pause and remember like, Hey, you might mean well, but like what, what you're saying is kind of rude. Yeah. Uh, like there, there was a, a woman who posted in a group locally that was asking about the cow palace show. And she was really excited because it was on her birthday, but tickets were sold out online. She was just, she was just asking if, if it's even possible or if, you know, you can go get tickets at the door or whatever. And literally within an hour or two, the first, or second comment on there was like, well, you shouldn't even be going to a reptile show. It seems you've forgotten. There's a whole pandemic going on and that mass groups and da, 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 da. And like this woman means well, 
by like, you know, encouraging safety during COVID times. But like, look, the show's happening, whether you're going to complain about it or not. And this person's talking about it being on her birthday, wants to have a positive experience during this crazy chaotic world. And your opinion doesn't matter in this instance. She's asking this question. That's not an invitation for you to get, be a fucking Karen. Excuse my language. But <laughs> yeah. you know, this woman was a total Karen. She was it's a total toxic like, so fast for oh, no reason. So bad. So bad. And yeah. and then I got sucked into it because I was like, you're awfully rude. And then she's like, Well, thank you. And da 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 and started being a huge bitch about it. And and it was just it was all bad. And she got booted from the group. But I was like, Man, this is terrible. This group is an echoing board of just like really bad, toxic encouragement of this Karenism, this telling people what they should and shouldn't do. And, and so it's just this, this culture we live in where we feel like we have to police everybody in their personal lives. And it's just not, it's not necessary. Like I get policing a community to rid a certain behavior, like policing the carpet Python community for not, you know, giving out blank guesses without information on what is my carpet Python. Like I get that <laughs> and I get policing by encouraging proper, you know, attention to certain animal care things, but like, just telling people what to do with their animals or what to do with their time over the internet. is just never a good idea. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't even really engage with the Facebook groups anymore. Like if there's something I want to know, I've gotten to a point now where I can reach out to somebody directly that I know, oh, yeah. you know, which, which is just better. And I yeah. tell the story I've told it before, like in terms of, people not knowing how to take constructive criticism and, and the importance of the delivery. Um, my first interaction with Nick Mutton was me asking Nick Mutton if he would sell me a female Brettles Python to breed to a Granite Jag. <laughs> it would have been so easy for him to say, you're a moron. And in other older times, Nick likes to say he used to be a lot more angry. Maybe he would have, but he wrote me the best constructive criticism in a respectful way that mm. laid out the the facts bluntly, I think that would be a terrible idea, but it, it was because X, Y, and Z, not because you're an idiot. Mm. And that's the difference. It's like, and now, you know, look, look where that's gone. You know, it's, right. it's just, you never know. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Just, I, I, I guess I, my point is to just be respectful to people and give people the benefit of the doubt until they give you obvious reason not to. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if, if you're like in a mental state where you're just upset at something else, or you're just angry or having a bad day, just don't, don't respond to those inquiries. Come back later when you're, you're, you know, you're, you're cooled out a bit. Cause I, yeah. I'm guilty of all these things that I'm, I'm saying we shouldn't do because I'm trying to learn from my experiences. Like I've been that asshole. I've, vented when I shouldn't I've reacted when I should have taken a breather and so you know me me talking about this here is also like a mental exercise to you know improve my own self in that way but sure. um it's just really interesting how the internet and the tension of the world just really causes a lot of these problems and I think yeah I think it's just nothing all that serious it's a natural pattern and you know we'll all laugh on it in the past or whatever but can you imagine what would happen or what would have happened and what the world would be like and what our relationship would be like if, 
if those dudes that uh, used to harass Eric and Owen on their Facebook comments two years ago had actually caused them to stop doing NPR. Like, I don't know how many folks who are in the chat or know of, you know, the years of history um, in NPRs is their wake essentially they're they're sort of the sounding board from rally and over the years there have been people who've you know everybody has their opinions but like a couple years ago there was an individual who will not be named who is no longer in reptiles (laughs) he he did not last more than two three years um you can't even find his accounts on anything but this guy you know started out a newbie got some good coaching from everybody um started getting into carpets and then started making some of the, the natural rookie follies and mistakes that come from not doing your research and not understanding the, the, the group of animals and not understanding the trends and the history and the delicateness of, you know, certain localities and just all these different things. But then he felt he would make his own, you know, platform to voice off as if he was an expert and then started uh, trashing the people that, fostered his interest into into morelia myself included um because i actually sold him some carpets uh, oh really years <laughs> yeah if he still has any of those animals he's still got animals um that i directly sold him in and he you know he he started out being friendly with me and eric and owen and then very quickly became a know-it-all who uh really didn't have the basic concepts understood he just wanted the glitz and glam and the money and you know, he wanted to show off essentially, but he didn't understand the basics. And he got to a point where he was every video or episode of NPR or anything Eric and Owen did, he would just come on there and just be an asshole just for the sake of getting attention and trying to, you know, just shit all over them. Excuse my French again. And, uh, and was just really rude. And eventually it gets to a point where you hate it and you've got to naturally find a way to cut it off. And it got to a point that this dude was just being a dick across every single platform. Like it didn't matter what Eric Owen did and how much they distanced themselves from it. This guy was just going around and like creating a the damn near cult following of hate against them. And just like, yeah. it was the most absurd thing ever because he had some misperception. I don't even remember the dude's been out of my mind for so many years. And, you know, it just goes to show like, if uh, if there weren't such a good positive community involved in the Morelia world and people getting so much benefit about it, that one asshole could have taken down the whole empire that they right. built and just ruined it for everyone else. And right. I'm so glad that it didn't. And I'm so glad that that knucklehead is no longer involved in reptiles. And if he is, he's keeping it to himself. And that's great. Yeah. Um, it's It's tough because, you know, the saying, if you're doing it, if you're doing it right, you're going to have haters. You know, or yeah. like if, if you have haters, it means you're doing something right. You know, it's it's tough because you have to tune it out mm-hmm. in a way. You know, the other side of my life is the music thing, right? Like band, you know, mu- people are super, super uh, passionate and particular about their taste in music and like to shit on the things that they're not into. Right. So you get tons of hate as uh, just semi-successful band right like you just you have to ignore it because those people don't matter um and i don't know it's i just i don't think there's a world where when you're succeeding and doing what 
you love in a big way, there's, there's just going to be haters, whether, you know, maybe they're jealous, you know, I think Eric, I've heard him say like all of the worst things in the world are based off of jealousy. Right. So, you know, it's good that that guy's gone, but at the same time, if he was still sounding off and, and doing that, I I feel like it's just got to be a matter of, nope, you know, not today, not listening to that uh, because somebody's somebody's always going to be filling that role yeah i think unfortunately yeah. Yeah. well and that's just it there's yeah. there's so many individuals out there so many trains of thought and everybody's their own person you can't please everyone and x y and z all the cliche things so it is what it is but, <laughs> um, there yeah. just happened to be a, a very loud small minority that like to raise their voices and light fires for attention yep but it's pretty easy to tell who those people are because they're usually not around much longer after that it's true. Yeah. So I just can't imagine like what the Morelia world would be like if NPR had, you know, shut its shut its doors, you know, two years ago, three years ago, if Eric and Owen had just folded it up and said, screw it, you know, too many ungrateful people. And if it got to them, you know, obviously it didn't get to them and they're much, you know, stronger, stronger individuals for it. But um, damn, yeah, it's just crazy how things have come come full circle like that conversation yeah. we had wow i haven't heard that name in years and i went to go look him up and was like he's not even around it's great it's, it's great. all the more reason to uh support the people that you're a fan of because yeah those voices can drown out the other ones <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and i think it's just it's all a natural cycle of of life in the reptile hobby it's just like anything else it ebbs and flows people come and go but you know, as long as the animals are still there, the hobby and the culture will be there in some some way, shape or form, way, shape or form. Yeah. So too Agreed. many people are in it for their own reasons and not for the animals. Yes, yeah. that is very true, Brandon Valentine. That is very, very true. Absolutely. I, I'm i in it for enjoyment and probably trying to not get more animals. I don't... <laughs> I don't good luck yeah looking back at last year man i was on such a good roll the year before i was like i'm not getting a ton of animals i got like a couple here and there and then i got my apidora and i was like i'm done and i was on a really good kick for several months where i had like lost the itch and the urge for more snakes and then the mia jungle stuff happened and i was like oh god i need these and so i got some and then that opened the doors and and i was looking back i was like dude i bought how many snakes last year after the Apidora? Oh no. And so, yeah, it just, it is what it is. It happens. So 2021 is like, don't sell me snakes, please. For okay. my own well-being. All right. Unless it's you like, got it. <laughs> or Nova guineas. That's probably, you know, Eric's going to like send you something. You're going to be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, we we've been already discussing that second care package. When he sent me a few snakes earlier last year, he's like, "This is just part A of of a two part." You know, the second part I already know is going to consist of his female Apodora. So nice. Okay, um, that's another reason why I'm trying to hold myself to curbing that that urge to get more because I know I'm about to have two two giants on my hands. <laughs> that's awesome though so, that's still cool yeah that'll be a fun long-term passion project that like has nothing to do with money it's just mm-hmm. learning an animal and doing it because a friend is you know really interested too and it's just kind of a fun project so yeah yeah i might need to get more baby racks i only have one and 
I have like 36 bit spots or something like that. The yeah, Fred and I on not... their own might blow that out of the water, not to mention yeah. the blackheads. <laughs> Get two parts of and you're done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, newspaper versus. Says... Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, go for it. Oh, I just saw this one here. Newspaper versus cypress versus coconut husk. Mm. Uh, for me, personally, I use the cypress for like the falsies um, mm. and stuff that I might want a little bit more humidity. Other than that, I'm actually using uh, like the Sandy Chips style stuff because sure. everything else I have is pretty deserty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've tried all of the above. Like every product that's out there, I've tried it. Even things that weren't meant for reptiles, I've tried it. Um, unprinted newspaper I used to use when I was still doing ball pythons and was really first getting into it, not making a lot of money, and had to make some choices about where I was spending my money and I could get free newspaper. Um, mm soon as that wasn't really an issue, uh, I was quick to ditch newspaper because it gets wet, it stains your tubs, it stains your animals. And since then, having met and become friends with Ed Villardo, I know exactly what goes into that printing process and the toxic chemicals that mm -hmm. kills the people who work in the industry after a certain amount of years. And I'm just like, that's not good for your animals, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. No, no, no. Especially the fact that it's like staining and dying the scales of my animals and like they're aerosolizing it and breathing that. And if they spill some water, it's just not, not something I'm into. And so then I went on that exploratory a couple of years where I just tried every product under the sun. I love Cypress mulch. I think it's great. It never molds. You can keep it wet. It doesn't yeah. smell. It helps with odor control. It's easy for spot cleaning. Um, I've used that. The only thing is Cypress mulch, in my opinion, unless you throw something else with it, it can get kind of flat compressed and you got to fluff it regularly to keep mm -hmm. it kind of, vital and and just fresh um coconut husk i really like because you can use it for a lot of different species drier humid the only downside is you really got to get it wet if you need humidity because it's like a dry sponge you really got to oversaturate it to get to that point and i've i've had animals that don't like coconut i've had animals that really love coconut um so i i try to not limit myself to just one product which is why you'll see me promoting and talking about those uh uh ed's you know cmc uh reptiles the liners that he makes yeah mm -hmm. i love those for all my rack system because i can you know throw the the water down and keep them humid i can keep them dry they don't mold they're really tough a lot of good things but you know I, my dumerals bows are in particulate substrate my rainbows are in particulate substrate but i'll raise babies on those liners so different different um mediums have different applications and over the years i've kind of Absolutely. learned what i prefer for different things so yeah um and then Tony says the closet behind you looks perfect for some cages, Riley. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Tony, it's already got a, a baby rack and an African bullfrog and a freezer in there. <laughs> so what's going to happen is directly here, this existing 36 rack uh, or 36 slot hatchling rack is going to go in there. And I'm going to have uh, 60 baby tubs in the closet that are going to be controlled by dual channel. And I've got a 45 tub sea serpents rack coming that'll go right where this one is, thus bringing my hatchling capacity to 105. Nice. But some of them have some babies still in them. So, but the other thing is that's going to be probably be my only cage investment this year, unless for whatever reason I hit the lotto or something crazy, uh, because I need more space in order to. Uh, 
you know, fit upgrades and more racks and bigger cages and stuff. And that's going to require a house. So the house <laughs> is the next big purchase. So uh, we'll get there in time. And, and I'm hoping I can do it in a timely enough manner where I don't have to sell animals in order to maintain my capacity here. I've, I've, I've had this like ebb and flow of like cutting out projects and then getting more animals, which was against the whole point of cutting out other projects. <laughs> so I just need to stay within my means until I can expand and then I'll be off to the races. So. Well, that's going to be exciting and dangerous. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I hope to one day have enough of a, a house or a space where I have a yard. It can host a carpet fest. Um, you know, Sweet. whether the animals get an outbuilding right away or if that's like a later addition, you know, remains to be seen. But yeah, lots of goals in the future, saving money up to uh, to spend a lot more. So <laughs> <laughs> there but you go. They'll have a good production year of carpets and stuff this year as it stands. I bet you all get one, two, three, four. I'll hopefully get six clutches of carpets this year and uh, the clutch of blacktails. So, and then if I don't know what the hell the, the mad hogs are doing, cause they're all cohab. So I let them do whatever. So <laughs> I'll be extremely happy if they produce again. Um, so yeah. And, and I don't have much, ma- uh, yeah, I don't have many plans for holdbacks, but you know, right. I don't know how I couldn't hold back a Kribo. I don't know. I'm so torn. I've been thinking about that too. I don't know what I'm going to do in terms of holdbacks if I get a bunch of bread lie. Yeah. It's going to be tricky because I already have a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Oliver says he's been pricing out outbuilding for the past week. That's just expensive. Yes. Mm. Yes, it is. Just laying concrete for a foundation is expensive. Getting the big enough size is expensive for your building, plus running electrical and water in there, plus if you have to get permits for it, like there's a lot. There's a lot yeah, yeah. To, uh, to consider. So, yeah, there's something to be said for, you know, curbing my enthusiasm a bit. But at the same time, I, it's impossible. I can't. So It is. It's, <laughs> it's addicting for sure. But it is who, it, it is who I am, you know, yeah. like. I am myself and myself includes Riley an obsessed reptile person. <laughs> among, <laughs> among other things, I'm obsessed about tattoos. I'm obsessed with photography. I'm obsessed with reptiles. I love watching football, you know, all these different things, but reptiles, man. Like, so it's Dude, just, I want more tattoos as soon as COVID's over. Ugh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's also addicting. <laughs> yeah. What is it with us and our expensive hobbies? Reptiles yeah. Right. Why couldn't we have like something cheap? Oh. <laughs> corn snakes corn even getting, snakes even i hated corn, corn snakes no yeah you had a bad experience i love mine mine are fantastic i'm sure they can be great i just i struck out a few times well if, if i if i get some down the year i'll accidentally send you some and you'll just have to <laughs> be the right person and take good care of them <laughs> uh, hopefully there's not a not a blackhead food in that box you know <laughs> oh boy oh boy kidding borders are closed and there's no import slash smuggling of reptiles to russia so it's been a year to just adding holdbacks to my collection yeah yeah if you're mm. closed borders you you definitely need to think think more you know carefully about what you keep for me like you know choosing holdbacks comes to what my long-term plan for the project is right um what i want 
to keep and work with, you know, five years down the line, 10 years down the line. Um, and then, you know, what my collection currently exists of, do I need to keep males? Do I need to keep females? Do I need more of this mutation? Do I need more of this line? Um, do I need more of this species, you know, and is, is keeping a hold back, uh, does that mean I'm going to need to buy some more animals to maintain diversity? So for like with Kribos, I would never, I probably would never breed a, you know, a sibling or sibling to sibling or a, a daughter back to parents just because inbreeding is such an issue with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's a big taboo to a degree in that, in that community with the exception of trying to line breed for, like modeled or the exanthic stuff, inevitably you have to do some breeding back with a recessive mutation and this and that. But um, so, yeah, that's where my conundrum comes. Cause like, if I keep a hold back, what am I keeping it for? Right. Am I, am I keeping it because it's like a, a trophy for, I finally did it. I finally exactly. got it and I have no plans on breeding it, but is that, you know, a good that's exactly what I'm thinking term? about here. If I get the double recessive stonewash stripes, that sounds like what that is, but I didn't do any of the work. Nick did all the work. So is it really well, a trophy for me or like, what do I, yeah. do? you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at the very least you produce it, you, you know, it's fun to keep something, especially if it's like your first clutch, like it's kind of, kind of, mon kind of monumental. Yeah. So there's value in that. Like there's value to me producing Crevos for the first time for that species. Cause I love the species and I've worked with them for almost eight years now and three, because my female almost died during the process. So it's yeah. kind of like, <laughs> you know, the reward after all the stress. And then, you know, then there's the, the concern, like, well, what happens if one of my hair dies or something down the line? Mm -hmm. And, and I want to at least, you know, keep working with those species. Do I, do I plan on that eventuality and in, in the result end result buy something unrelated to keep going? Or, you know, there's a lot of things to consider and it's not the same as, as keeping carpet pythons because, you know, it's very diverse in this realm of, of what I keep. So yeah, it's a, it's a never ending thing. And then, you know, they have a different climate and they require space differently. And so yeah. there's a lot of, I I only know one thing for sure, and that's if if we're lucky enough to get blackheads, I'm keeping all of them. <laughs> They're all mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, until, until Eric hits you up and goes. I was hey, gonna say, it. except for maybe Eric, because he could probably trade something that would make my jaw drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'd be like, so you don't have any pop one carpets, Lucas. right? Or those tollies, man. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He'll be like. What's say uh, we do a little trade, a blackhead <laughs> or a pair of Tully's and a pair of pop, you know, whatever it is. It'll and get interesting. He'll, he'll yeah. get you. He'll get you one way or another. Yeah. If, yeah. Well, we'll just see how it goes. We'll see how yeah. it goes. I got to just keep crossing fingers for now. Yeah. Well, that's, it's part of the excitement is thinking ahead towards the future. And it's also wise to plan. So, oh, yeah. There's a lot of a lot. It's like it seems like it's just fun daydreaming, but there is some real implication in planning for the long term because, yeah. well, especially now, now that they're actually locking up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so they, you know, what's really interesting about Kribos is that they seem to have a very narrow reproductive window. So I every time I put the mail in prior to the time they locked up, I just saw them 
avoiding each other, the male pursuing her, avoiding no real right. interest. And then a palpable difference that one time where she was receptive, he was very receptive and going after it. And it was great. And then separated them and then tried pairing them again two weeks later. And they like, she wanted nothing to do with him. And he wasn't as gung ho that last time. And so to me, it's like, okay, do I keep trying at the risk of, of her safety if she's not into it and he's persistent, you know, cause there's always that, you know, that concern of pulling your mail too soon or, or not getting enough locks in. But this species seems to be one of those species where you need to supervise them, separate them as soon as they're separated from a lock. And it can only, you know, I mean, theoretically every breeding can be done with just one perfectly timed lockup in theory, mm-hmm. But this seems to be like one of those things where they have such a specific window that it only they're they're only going to allow like one or maybe <laughs> two cordial, um, you know, interactions. I guess right. because you know that window it has to be that narrow where her ho- hormones and everything is just right. It's not like ball pythons where you can breed them ahead of time and really get those females stimulated and get follicles growing just by the introductions because these things will kill each other. We've already seen mm-hmm. so it's it's really interesting it kind of uh it's just a different a different thing and so do i want to <laughs> do i want to have a whole group of of those like yeah right. it's like, <laughs> so, but i love them it's like I, i've had kribos and rainbow boas longer than i've had carpet pythons not by much but um maybe like a year like i've had kribos since 20 2012 Something like that. That's so, so cool, though. Ah, I would love to work with that. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, <laughs> I, I like, I want to be slow in adding animals because I don't want to force myself to have to cut something out that I like. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to force myself to be patient until I can get in a house and then have room for, you know, adding yeah. one more, having holdbacks, adding enclosures, upgrading for the animals already here. You know what I mean? So absolutely. No, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of like you're, you're waiting out for the house. I'm trying to, uh, get the the business side of things to a a place where i can rent this other room in my own apartment and kick yeah. my buddy out and then fill it with cages like yeah there you we go. both have our long game <laughs> Every, everybody's trajectory is different yeah definitely but it's all about uh trying to expand in a way where i can still have high quality animal care you know i don't yeah. want to i don't want to let that suffer because i I'm addicted to getting new things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like don't, <laughs> don't go fill up every baby rack and every cage and then realize, Oh shoot. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> That's <laughs> just I've irresponsible. Done that. yeah. I've done that. I've done that and had to, to, you know, trim the fat, so to speak. And then, and then you just sort of reevaluate where your heart's really at. Like, sure. You'll look back on your reptile journey in five and 10 years and just kind of, evaluate how much your collection has changed and you'll learn from from where you've come from and just enjoy it along the way and as long as you do the right thing by your animals like that's that's all you can ask yeah even if that means rehoming them to somebody who's going to be more invested in them absolutely and i've done that i did that with ball python rosy boa yeah absolutely (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. when it becomes clear that that it's it's not for me you know then it's a disservice to keep the animal and sure it's best to find somebody that actually has the passion for it you know yeah and you wouldn't know that unless you tried keeping the animal so there's exactly. nothing wrong with that. i think exactly. i think that that sort of action gets a lot of bad rap but it's 
it's actually the ethical thing to do. So, yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap up, uh, Brandon Valentine asked, are the rainbows going this year? No, my 2016 female was going to be the one I was trying to go for this year. And she, she was not into it, kind of afraid of the male, uh, not as big as I wanted. So, uh, I had hopes of this being her first year, but I think it'll be next season. And if that's the case, the next season I should have two litters going. It's my big orange girl. I give her a year off in between every time because literally by the time she's done giving birth and back on food and having a shed, she's like two months out from cooling down. And I just, I'm not even going to push that. So, um, plus I, if I have a big year of carpets this year, I'll, you know, every year it, things play out as they do. And every year it seems like it works out the way it's supposed to. So um, I'm not going to force the issue. I'm just excited about having multiple carpet clutches and some Kribos this year. So anything I get, I'll be, everything I get, I'll be grateful <laughs> for. Man, baby Kribos are the coolest thing ever. They are I... small, but not corn snake small, but they have big bug eyes because their eyes yeah. are huge when they're born. Yeah. And they're just like little tweakers because they're just like, I'm a baby, I'm a baby. Everything's going to eat me. Oh my God, oh my God. But like both of mine, I got as unestablished little guys and it was really fun to have that challenge as much as that can be nerve wracking. It was fun to learn them because I had to pay attention to them and what they were, what they were giving me as far as feedback. And to me, it was like, okay, these things are visually cued and these yeah. things are flighty and nervous and they have a very quick threshold before they're not comfortable anymore. And so when they weren't eating, it was fully disclosed to me ahead of time because um, mm -hmm. they were, you know, the stubborn babies of the bunch. And I was like, I'm a stubborn person i want these snakes i don't care i'll figure it out and uh and it took just some minnows in a water bowl and just seeing them both give me this feedback to to the exploration the tinkering was so rewarding so i'm really excited to see see what hatches out see you know see baby kribos again and they have like those textured eggs with like coarse right. sort of weird stuff to it so it's kind of like a crocodile egg so like i'm really excited about that too that's so um, awesome. I'm excited. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. And like the timeline for them is very different from pythons. Like they breed. And according to Black Pearl's website, what happens is there's like, you know, once you start bringing temperatures back up. So like in February, I'll give her a little more warmth. And then it takes like four months before you get eggs instead of like a month, you know, like a shed and then 30 days and eggs with pythons. It's like several months. So um, I'm excited to see that, but I might have to somehow get a, an incubator specifically for them for the cool temps because right. if i've got carpet eggs on the ground they're not going in the same incubator because those things have to be incubated around like 75 78 wow yeah yeah 75 is what john is saying is is happy his happy medium any any closer to 78 you get like kinking and weird issues or like a dead in the egg hmm. so we'll see gonna need another one yeah <laughs> another incubator i'm thinking if i can find one of those exoterra small incubators that cools um available that'll that'll do the job my buddy locally uses those for his crebos and indigos and stuff like that so it's just a matter of getting it while uh supply is low yeah so we yeah. like it we can't even get them for the shop really wow <laughs> yeah yeah everything's on back order so supplies are low that's the one thing that covid did right was give everybody a reason to uh to get into, into their animals yeah <laughs> go you know get these projects done that they wanted to so good problem to have i guess in the in the greater scheme of it all yeah so 
Well, but anyway, enough, man, yeah, we covered a we, lot of ground. <laughs> we, we've rambled in the right way. We've done some good rambling today. Ramble some on. Quality rambling. Yes, sir. And, Always uh, a pleasure rambling with you, sir. Yes, sir. And I think, uh, <laughs> I think for everybody listening and everybody who tunes in, I think next Sunday is when we're going to try and do the next round. So instead of it being on a Monday, we're going to do it on a Sunday. Eric is going to be available to join us that week because he'll be on Florida in va- on vacation. So he'll have some time to, to kick his feet up and have a chat, but we're going to have an even more exciting surprise. We're going to have a fourth <laughs> member of, uh, of carpets and coffee join us. Somebody who I think you guys will all really, really appreciate uh, coming on and, and lending some perspective. So we're going to keep that a little, little secret and uh, you'll just have to tune in on Sunday next week to uh, to see who exactly is going to join us. And if anybody who's here joined in late, um, this will be up on the YouTube channel. Uh, as soon as we're done, um, it'll be up there. And so you can always go back and listen to it and it will be made into podcast format. Um, we're slowly getting them up onto the podcast for this channel. So it's got its specific own RSS feed. So look that up, Spotify, Apple podcasts, whatever, just look up carpets and coffee. The first three episodes are up there right now. And then don't forget to check out Lucas's podcast, humans of her herpeticulture. Um, he does that more of those. Shoot. He does that when we <laughs> let him go from his, uh, his bondage of reptile enslavement with the NPR network. Um, you know, don't forget to check out the OG show. Never forget the OG show, Morelia Python radio. And then there's also Colibrid corner that Owen and I do their student of the serpent with, uh, Eric and, and Rob, and then carpet cliff notes, carpets and cliff notes. Yep. Uh, or carpet cliff notes. Um, <laughs> I'm on a carpet to come. Uh, and then there's going to be some more stuff coming in the works. Some really good, heavy hitting uh, new segments, new podcasts under the, the network umbrella. Um, don't forget to check out the Teespring store. If you go to teespring.com, type in NPR store, and you will find all of the NPR swag from hoodies to mugs to t shirts, whatever you want. Uh, previous Carpet Fest t shirts, some cool stuff up there. So, Go get yourself some, some gear. Yeah, Patreon and, we talked about earlier. So if you want to become a patron member, uh, right now we have a, a simple single tier, just five bucks a month. And uh, eventually we'll be adding more. And, and then that will come with more benefits to the, the patrons, um, you know, exclusive stuff, deals, chats, whatever. We're, we're ironing that out. So so go check that out because that'll support um, this sort of empire that Eric and ONF created. And then, uh, yeah, don't forget to check out Eric at EB Morelia on uh, Instagram. And what else does he use? Just Instagram, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. E. Morelia. Right, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, EBMorelia.com, I believe. Um, and then check out Owen at rogue-reptiles.com and uh, on social media under Rogue Reptiles. And then, Lucas, you want to throw your stuff out there? Yes, I can be found at Centralian Exotics on Facebook and Instagram and www.centralianexotics.com. And for me, you can uh, find my stuff under reptilesreilly.internet. Riley's Reptiles on Instagram, on YouTube, just under Riley Jimison. 
and uh, everything we're doing under the NPR network I'm involved in. You're probably already tuned into. So uh, with that out of the way, thank you for... Reptiles uh, for, Riley, who owns who? Riley, reality, <laughs> really ridiculous. Uh, okay. ramblings, uh, retracted regularly regarding reptiles. Really rad. Really rad. Um, rad reptiles. Rad reptiles. <laughs> we've got off the rails all right we'll see you all next sunday don't forget to tune in it's sunday next week instead of monday should be around the same time with eric and a fourth special guest and uh keep listening to all the stuff in the backlogs keep you know checking out the youtube channel for npr network get that channel monetized so we can go field herping and do even more for eric and owen and we will catch you all next week Woo-hoo. adios Bye.